0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now. On BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. And we've got our favorite anthem that we play every Friday for you. Folks, it's Friday. Believe it or not, Ben Ben Wazden's favorite song. (laughs) It's like, this is incredible. This is the incredible lyricist who, Ben? Who is this? Rebecca Black. Yes, Rebecca Black. It's Friday. You know, horrible song, but uh, it's worth it for the day. Man, I love Friday. Because it's the day you get ready for Saturday. And then you get up, go to your kids' games. It's too cold to mow the lawn. It's too cold to work in the yard. You better just watch sports. Ah, Top of the morning to you. Hey, on Friday, uh, crazy stuff going on in Mali. The, uh, uh, an entirely different group of terrorists now taking over a Radisson... Going in floor by floor, shooting people up, killing, crazy. 80 people have been released uh, from the last check I saw. And um, special forces uh, are on their way or are there and the hotel is under siege. It's a Radisson in Mali, which I think shows us the war on terror. It's a world war. And interesting fact, most of these aren't connected necessarily they're not, i mean they're not talking to each other they're not it's not one command it's not one central command but they might be inspired by yeah, other actions yeah probably deeply inspired in fact some believe that you know this is there's a competition for who's going to get the terror attention and maybe some people are mad that isis is getting so much of it so let's let's step up our efforts step too. up our efforts isn't that crazy? It's like it's just this is this is why this is such a difficult thing to fight. So you go in and you take care of this cell, but you've got another cell, you know, waiting for
3: their time in the light. Anyway, incredible. And um, this is the kind of thing that brings in funding for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who fund these things see those and go, "Oh, that was a that was a good effort by them," and they send them some money. And
2: that's why spokespeople for for the White House, for example, are saying, "You know, you're not going to just beat terrorism." You know, militarily, you've got to beat them on the money front. You've got to beat them on the PR front. You've got to beat them on the intelligence side. It's a full-fledged attack. Also, uh, threats now have been announced in Italy as well. There's – they've heightened the – The Vatican. Yeah, now the Vatican. uh, There's like apparently five men they're looking for because of threats at three specific sites in Rome. Hmm. So it continues – it continues but it's interesting too it's a wider war you're starting to see it uh open up a little bit and th- there's this is going to have to change there's some there's some paradigms about how we think of people and and think of terrorism that's going to have to change we also might want to be careful again not to just make every muslim seem horrible which our politicians are going crazy over and Anyway, it just makes me think that we we need a different paradigm. Without a different way of thinking about this whole thing, we're just going to keep you know going about it the same way and creating the exact same problems. So ah, we'll get to that, I'm sure, in the news. Hey, oh, man alive. Did you see that Warriors-Clippers game? I saw some clips from it.
3: That is did not see the game. The but...
2: Warriors are killing me because I, yeah. I love them. I love watching them. My sons love watching them. But their games are always... West Coast later. So last night they played the Clippers. The Clippers were up by twenty three points. As late as about the end of the third quarter, they were up by twenty something points. Well, no, they 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 had broken the lead down to about ten or fifteen, and then they ended up winning. The Warriors ended up winning by like seven or eight points. <laughs> yeah! I saw all kinds of just crazy shots, and it was a shootout. It was crazy, and the Clippers
3: are good. Yeah, those teams don't like each other. No, no, there, yeah, there was a lot of. You watched the whole game?
2: Uh, well, uh, pretty much, yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, the those,
3: That starts at what eight thirty our time? Yeah, I was, I was falling asleep. Uh huh. Wow. And then they were getting blown out, so I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to bed. And most of the time, it's it's the second half of a doubleheader because exactly. it's Thursday, yeah. so that could push it even later. Eleven thirty is when the game ended Mountain Time. Yeah, there's, there's we were, a point where I just call it and go to bed.
2: Well, I was. about, I was, I had actually called it, and then I stood up, and I just watched for about another 15 minutes. Don't you
3: hate that? I hate that. I have a college football channel ah, on Saturdays. That and you just, can't walk away. It just kicks to the next game that's going to score a touchdown. So you oh, go to stand wow. up, and then you sit back down. I bet your wife loves that. She's like, come on, you have to do that. I'll be right there. Yeah. No, no watch problem. Watch us, watch us, watch us, watch us,
2: watch us. But I, then my – it's a bonding time because all my boys are awake and we're all talking and throwing a ball around and it was great. Last night I had my grandchild there. We babysat. You don't really babysit a baby, no, because she just slept the whole time.
3: Well, in the sense that you're making sure that the baby is okay. Yeah, I didn't even do that. No, really. you could just my set wife the baby down. Did that. Yeah, but you're not going to leave the baby alone. No, so you need to sit there. You mm-hmm. are babysitting. Yeah, it's interesting to watch my teenage boys.
2: They, like, can't get enough of this baby. Yeah. They'll just sit next to her, and they just – it's crazy. But total babe magnet. Oh. Babies are babe magnets. Oh, yeah. Throw your baby in a stroller, <laughs> wander around. Hmm. My my son invited a friend over, and she came over to see the baby who was sleeping the entire time. And it was like she thought my son was great. Like the, ba- the baby the, just does you've whatever. you got the cutest niece. You're just yeah. amazing.
3: Marry me. <laughs> just take your kid, wander through a mall to see what it's happens. All I need Everyone's all, oh, look at the kid. <laughs> My eighteen-year-old boy. He's using his niece to pick up ladies.
2: Hey, uh, can I borrow? Can I borrow Claire and take her to the store? No, why? I'm just gonna go out try to find a date or something. You
3: have to use all the tools in the toolbox, Bent Matt. You yeah, just you gotta, have to make sure you, all resources are utilized you, to its fullest. Right. No, if that happens to be your niece eh. but he's a smart kid he's he knows how to use a baby (laughs) to lure a mother in
2: hey uh we've got a great guest coming up in just a few minutes we're gonna be talking about the internet you know that that crazy technology's taking away our brains it's what you're told you know dumbing you down just dumbing you down making you so stupid it's too much information we're losing our attention span Constant distractions.
3: It's addictive. It could be called the USA Todayification of the world. Because, you know, they take the the longer news articles, condense them into something you can read quickly because they know that people don't have the attention span to to get something in-depth. So you do that, put some colors with it, and it's USA Today. Oh, yeah. Make it flashy. Yeah. Here's the problem.
2: According to our next guest who's done a a history, a study, and a history of reading – he says all of those arguments about too much information, loss of attention span, constant distraction and addictiveness of of the technology, those were all claims that were made uh, uh, in relation to the reading of manuscripts and printed text during the past 2,000 years. Right. So like when the
3: printing press came in, same arguments. Well, the advance of probably every form of technology, like the radio shows up and people are like, oh, we're going to waste all oh. our time just sitting oh. in the – you know. A TV comes in and, there we go. and it's just this, this idea that we're going to make ourselves dumber with more information. So
2: he's going to blow that idea up and, and actually give us the real data, the real scoop, because the, the, the reality is our kids are probably reading a lot more today than ever before. They're just reading it differently. Right. They're you know, taking they're not in just, the information. Yeah, they're not curling up to a book in the middle of a rainstorm. Their cozy little nook in their house. They're curling up to their phones. That's
3: right. Like I was doing. Is Anytime they want. Reading a book last night.
2: Uh, anyway, uh, Frank Fioriti will be joining us in just a few minutes uh, from London, I believe.
3: We'll uh, we'll take a break first, though, but let's hear the headlines from Terry. What's going on, Terry? Thanks, Matt. Special forces are raiding the Radisson Blue Hotel in the Milan capital city of Bamco, where gunmen took as many as 170 people hostage. The hostage takers reportedly shouted, Allah akbar as they seized the building witnesses said gunfire could be heard from the outside building early this morning and security officials have sealed off the area there's the rescue operations going on local media reports have 80 people freed so far as law enforcement storm the facility that story is ongoing fbi director james comey and u.s attorney general loretta lynch held a joint press conference to address the status of security of the united states and to settle any fears of u.s citizens after the paris attacks here's james comey Says there's no known threats.
4: We are not aware of any credible threat here of a Paris type attack. And we have seen no connection at all between the Paris attackers and the United States.
3: The House of Representatives voted 289 to 137 on Thursday to approve a bill that requires strict new screening measures for Syrian and Iraqi refugees seeking to enter the United States. In the wake of the Paris attacks, some believe that Obama's plan to allow 10,000 Syrian refugees next year could allow terrorists to slip into the U.S. All known Paris attackers so far, however, have been French or Belgian nationals. In a defiance of party lines, 47 Democrats backed the bill. Three Republicans voted against it. The legislation is expected to come up for vote in the Senate after Thanksgiving. President Obama has vowed a veto. So that is, uh, again... More of this uh, detailing ro- uh, fallout from the Paris attacks. After pleading guilty to sex with minors and child pornography charges, former subway pitchman Jared Fogel was sentenced to 15 years, eight months in prison, effectively serving out 188 months on both counts concurrently. Wow. So he will be gone for a while. If things are bad between you and your significant other, no longer you no longer have to be unfriend them, hide them, or block them to <laughs> stop. Painful reminders of their existence from popping up on your newsfeed on Facebook, On Thursday, the Internet site rolled out a new tool that allows users to limit how much content they see from their ex once they change their relationship status to single. The tool has three major components, limiting how much of your ex you see on Facebook, limiting how much your ex sees you on Facebook, (laughs) and limiting people's ability to see past photos where the two of you are together. Um, I'd like to go with my ex, Light. Uh, I'd like to have very little to do with her. So there'll be some new settings, Uh and you can poke around with those if you need to. to Thank you, Facebook, (laughs) helping you get through your bad breakup. Relationship status. That's great. Oh, boy, what would we do without
2: Facebook? You know, now we we can unfriend them, you know, change our relationship status, and we don't even have to look at them anymore. Except you know you still will. Even, I mean, Ben broke up with a girl about six years ago, and he still, every morning, comes in and whimpers and looks through her old Facebook page. It's sad, Ben. You got to let her go. You were 12. You're 12. Okay, I was going to ask you how old you thought I was. I know how old you are. Okay. I know how old you are. Your mom calls, and we talk about it every day. Uh, We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, Frank Fioridi will be joining us uh, from London. He's going to be walking us through. Uh, The Internet, maybe some of the assumptions we make about reading. And is the Internet really just destroying our brains? We'll find out. We'll find out what his review of literacy says. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
3: I went to BYU with the intention of finishing my degree. Along the way, things got a little bit busy. I always had that idea that I was going to go back, but as a non-traditional student, I just felt that uh, that opportunity was not going to happen until I explored what BGS really offered.
5: The
1: BGS program gave me more flexibility and gave me the education that I wanted.
3: As I was walking to the podium, it uh, was almost surreal. I don't regret getting my degree through BGS.
2: Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about it, uh, do you read more books today than you did maybe 10, 15 years ago? Do you think the Internet is impacting your literacy? Or how about the literacy of your children? Uh, will there be a day eventually where we just don't even open up a book? Where we're going to just download the book? And does that make a difference? Does does the fact that we're downloading it or putting it on Some reader device, does that actually impact the amount of reading we're doing? Well, according to our next guest, uh, you know what? We've probably been using the same old stories about technology ruining literacy for thousands of years, and he's here to teach us about uh, what he's been learning. About literacy when it comes to you today. He's in the UK currently. His name is Frank Fioriti. He's a, a sociologist, a social commentator. He was formerly a professor of sociology at the University of Kent in Canterbury, and he is the author of seventeen full length books. Um, everything from paranoid parenting to politics of fear beyond left and right. Frank Fioriti, welcome to the Matt Townsend show. Are you there, Frank? We've got Frank on Skype. So uh, trying to bring him in, by the way, again, using technology. Isn't it ironic that we we can now Skype the UK and talk to an expert about literacy and is it killing or not killing the world? One of the things that he brings up uh, in his research is the fact that oh, there you are. Frank, can you hear us?
4: I can't. It was my fault. I turned up the microphone by mistake. No,
2: no, you're fine. That's great. So, Frank, great to have you on the show. And again, we're Skyping you all the way to the UK from Utah. So uh, talk to me. Is technology ruining the literacy of our children?
4: I don't think so. I think that um, if you look at what's happening around the world, uh, a lot of children are being very, very busy online, but they're also reading uh, far more than you suspect. Mm. I think what's interesting... Is that our best readers are both very sophisticated users of digital technology, and they also read a lot of books. So I think there's a, a bit of a myth uh, that somehow the online experience is detrimental to the way we read. I think if people don't read, there are other causes of that.
2: Yeah, well, and let's let's get into that. And in one of the great articles that you wrote, you you uh, you argued that the arguments that it impacts, that technology improvements or or developments impact literacy has gone on for 2,000 years.
4: That's right. I mean, it it all began when writing was invented. And at that time, the Greek philosopher Socrates argued that reading could be very detrimental to your your mental health because it will lead to a loss of memory. (laughs) And when they invented books, It used to be said that, you know, there's too much information out there. And the more books that are published, the more confused we'll become. So ever since that time, every new technology has been associated with the end of reading. Hmm. uh, And therefore, the crisis of reading has been a a recurrent theme throughout every generation going back to 3000 years. Isn't
2: that fascinating? Like, yeah, too many books are going to just blow your mind up. Um, talk to me about what, what if it's not the technology that might be impacting the reading, What what is you know adversely impacting some of our reading
4: traditions? Well, I think, first of all, the, the status of reading is not nearly as bad as we suspect. I think there are some areas where literacy is, is, is precarious, and I think that's to do with people's uh, social and cultural circumstances, it's to do with the quality of education that they're getting, but most important of all, it's got to do with the fact that we don't live in an age um, of ideas, of knowledge. or is an age of information, hmm. and I think that uh, young people don't get inspired or turned on uh, by the love of reading if they're, all they're getting is bits of information, if all they're doing is asked to do research online. I, I think it's when people... Uh, are given stuff that is inspiring that really captures their imagination that they embrace reading i 've got a wonderful story that I just heard about a couple of weeks ago is about this bunch of Peshmarga Kurdish guerrillas mm. fighting ISIS in, in northern Iraq, and these are the guys that are fighting on the battlefield and they 've all decided to go to night school to re- learn how to read. Because they've, they've kind of, from experience, they realize that reading is a very important means of communication. It's a way that they can become much more effective. Huh. So when they've laid down their guns, there they are, you know, learning how to write, reading books, and, and loving it. I mean,
2: in fact, how beautiful is that? And what a great break at the end of the day, you know, to be able to pull a book out, which almost you know, reminds you of what would probably happen in World War II or World War I.
4: Exactly. I don't, I don't know if you know, but in America, during World War II, book reading really shot up. Did it? It really yeah. increased. Yes, because you know, people began to talk to each other about ideas. There was a lot at stake. A lot of soldiers used uh, reading as a way of distracting themselves from the scary stuff of the, on the battlefield. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it became interesting that in a few years, people have never laid their hands on a book you know, had that little book collection and, and, and we're and were very interested in all the new authors yeah. that were being published at the time. It's
2: it's interesting that you bring up um like the quality of education because maybe that's what we need to pay attention to, huh? Is that our kids need to we, we need to make sure they just don't know how to go access information, but also that we make sure that they're also being stimulated with interesting stories, interesting information.
4: I, I agree. I think the the big tragedy in England where I live but also I think in the US and Canada is that in a lot of classes what children get are these worksheets you know sort of a couple of paragraphs with a picture uh, where they're meant to uh, simply learn the sentence, learn the words and then they gradually sort of graduate into other little booklets but none of these uh, materials are particularly fascinating it's not going to sort of turn them on to ideas or to Uh, a a new world where they can play around with their imagination. And I think what has happened is that in schools we teach literacy rather than reading. Hmm. And literacy Hmm. is not the same thing. Literacy is simply the the skill of decoding text. It's being able to read a word out loud. Whereas reading is about letting your imagination go, learning to read between the lines and gain meaning from what you're doing. And I think at the moment schools aren't doing very much of that. They're very much stuck with with teaching literacy skills.
2: Yeah, it's like it's more like regurgitation than imagination.
4: It's, Ab- absolutely, absolutely, and this is not going to make uh, people into you know sort of uh, enthusiastic readers. Hmm.
2: And and then the, to think too, the cathartic benefit like of the soldiers of reading or of just that feeling that you can curl up with your favorite book. Do you sense that um, the use of technology, does it matter how you access the stories? Does it matter how you access the imagination? Like whether I access it with a tan, a book in my hand that I turn the pages, that tactile experience compared to just a technology where I just you know push a button and it changes the page?
4: Myself, I don't think it does, but some of my friends and a lot of people that have been interviewed, make the point that they would rather have a physical book. And one thing that's very interesting that has happened just this last year is that in the United States and in England, the sales of e have kind of stabilized and are falling. Hmm. And, the, and the sales of physical books, uh, you know, books you get in bookshops, uh, have been on the increase. In England, it's increased by 8% last year, which is quite a, wow. a significant number. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is because although we like to read e-books and we like Kindle and we like to download stuff, nevertheless, sometimes we we want to have an experience where there's nothing that comes in between. There's no third party that comes in between you and the book, Mm -hmm. the the text. We just want to feel it and we want to grab it. And I think uh, no matter what happens, no matter how much e-books we will read, we will always want to have something in our hands that's physical from time to time. That's part of the... Uh, experience of intimate reading—you yeah. know, just reading in isolation from the rest of the world—and
2: I grew up. I mean, I grew up in the generation where you, your book was. It's also like this sense of honor. You, you shelf it. You protect your books. You. So, I mean, I still have a, a thousands of books in my in my uh, office, and I sit there and I and I protect them, and then I look at my son's room that has hardly any books. But access to more information than I ever could have imagined.
4: Yes, but but, but that might change. I mean, I've, I've you know I'm yeah. a, a, a twenty-year-old boy now who's uh, kind of mutated from a, a technology freak into somebody who's got a book collection in a very mm. short period of time. I mean, those things th- those things can occur. And I think I don't know if you've noticed, but certainly um, on many television programs, you know, you have this self-conscious attempt that behind the interview taking place, there's a bookshelf with books. Yeah, right. And that's meant to signify the fact that these were serious guys having a knowledgeable conversation. I think books still signal the idea that this is a, a more refined, sophisticated, um, even a more sacred mm. uh, environment that, that occurs. And and that kind of uh, image will, will never, ever be replicated by you know, sort of an Xbox, you know,
2: sort of or right. by um, a laptop. No, I, I think you're right on. We're speaking with Frank Fioriti from uh, the UK, and he's talking to us about uh, an article we found, The Internet is Not Killing Reading. He is a sociologist, a commentator, an author of more than 17 books, full-length books. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion about literacy, more importantly, maybe about reading, connecting, using your imagination – is the technology impacting that? Is it decreasing your ability to be imaginative, to be literate, to be able to connect to, to more rich thoughts? Well, not according to this guest. More with Frank Furiti when we come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, all this technology, is it improving? Is it it decreasing? Your tendency to read? These e-book readers, I don't know if you've heard this, but between 2008 and 2010, e-book sales were soaring, right? Going off the chart. But apparently, uh, in the last year, e-book sales fell by 10%. Just in the first five months of this year, according to the Association of American Publishers, while uh, at the same time booksellers are selling more and more books than ever, so not so bad. Apparently, we are—we're uh, not just giving up on everything. And according to our guest Frank Fioriti from the UK, uh, he is—he's an author of more than seventeen books. He's a sociologist former professor of sociology at the University of Kent in Canterbury. And uh, he's here on the line with us to tell us, no, it's, this has been the old argument. Anytime a new invention came along, everyone was like, er, it's going to ruin your brain. But the reality is when it comes to literacy and, and maybe more importantly reading, we, we could do more to maybe improve it, but it's, it's still, we're still fairly healthy. Is that a pretty good assessment, Frank?
4: I think it is. I think it's interesting that uh, there's never been a time when people read as much as now. They might not be reading books, mm-hmm. but if you go down to any bar, you go down to any public space, you will find teenagers voraciously looking at their phones, yeah. reading texts. Right. Uh, you'll find people in coffee houses reading what's on their computer screen. People read newspapers, people read books. All that's happened is that uh, we read in different ways. We have a more segmented reading experience. Uh, And of course, it's always been the case that serious, really serious readers were a relative minority. Probably the minority today is larger than ever before, but Mm. it's still a minority. Mm. But it's not unusual uh, that not everybody loves reading books all of the time. I think what is interesting is that in the 21st century, we just take reading so much for granted that we don't even notice the fact yeah. that yeah. more and more aspects of our life is experienced through the text.
2: We do take it for granted, like that example you were giving us, the Pershmega. Per, how you say it? Uh, fighters. Um, they they are they're learning to read. I mean that's a it's a it's a big step from learning to read and then reading. To just, you know, in America, in the U.K., where so many just are readers, um, but like you say, too, we may not be the serious type of reader. I know I end up listening to a lot of books on tape, and do you sense that that's different than sitting and holding the book? I mean, I experience the books. um, I do it just while I drive, while I commute, so I don't always feel like my attention is there, but I, I am able to access a lot of great information by just the audio.
4: Yes, I think there is a, an interesting uh, debate to be had because uh you know what we take in orally you know through uh, listening to a, an audiobook or or to listening to a story is a little bit different than what we read through the text. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the way that our imagination works is slightly different because when we hear things orally then uh, we tend to follow the the kind of the signals that the raconteur, the speaker, uh, sends to us, and we kind of, uh, in a sense, get uh, entranced by the way the stories told, the voice, uh, the, the the rhythm of the mm, of, of yeah. the communication that we get. Whereas when we read a text, uh, it's really our imagination that's at work almost entirely. I mean, one well, the, the the really incredible thing about reading a text is that it opens up the doors to a new world, and you never really know where you're going to end up. It's kind of, is a voyage of discovery and it doesn't happen all the time. But sometimes people tell me that they start reading and they're almost caught unaware and they get pulled into circumstances and situations that almost surprises them. Yeah. And that's why for some reading becomes almost like an exhausting experience. I mean, a really intense half an hour of reading a, a, a book can really exhaust you and it's almost like, you know, a physical workout except it's happening to your brain. And it's got this kind of uh, incredibly cathartic uh, kind of effect, not always, but in certain circumstances, whereas orally listening to the story is a slightly more passive experience. It's a bit like watching a film. It's still very vital and very useful, but it, it doesn't engage as much of your mental imagination as when you're Reading a text, which is yeah. why, you know, throughout human civilization, reading has been associated with technological innovation, cultural development, with the development of science. We we think differently. We're able to conceptualize, abstract, and almost run ahead of ourselves as a result of that.
2: it's It's like it makes you a co-creator. Reading, you co-create meaning in the process of reading. Where listening, you might just be more of a receiver, like just downloading.
4: Yes, and and you know, which is there's, it's not an argument against listening. No, sometimes in the act of listening, you, you, it, it's like a reality check. It gives you some interesting ideas. But reading is a little bit different because you know, the minute, when you when you when you're reading, you, you you know, you are on your own. It's it it can be a, a solitary experience and even a scary experience because. Nobody's holding your hand as you're kind of going down th- this kind of road, this journey that, that you're kind of embarking upon. And and, and for that reason, it, it, it becomes much more of a, a challenging and intellectually uh, stimulating and demanding uh, sort of process. And aesthetically, I mean, it's a very sensual process through which our, our senses can really come alive and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and really kind of give us feelings that, in the, this, that is actually quite interesting.
2: It seems, too, that it demands um, presence. It demands your attention. And in a world where, you know, there, there's a huge movement for mindfulness, there's a huge uh, maybe dearth of um, ability to focus. It seems like it, it's actually kind of an exercise that we could use to, to learn how to focus and maintain attention.
4: Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of mindfulness or all these attempts to make us focus, because I think that the act of focusing, you know, really has got to be integral to what you're doing. It shouldn't be something that's artificial or or therapeutic. And I, I actually think that, you know, we've always had this problem of not knowing, you know, sort of how to pay attention or who to pay attention to. And I think the reason why, you know, sort of, um, we're so preoccupied with being distracted and, and, and not being attentive is because there is so much competition going on for people's attention. I mean, everybody, every advertiser is trying to get a, a, a fix on our imagination. Mm-hmm. And, and you have people continually phoning you up, cold calling you. You have people on the internet, on television, in every domain of experience, trying to get your attention. And, and I think in, that, in, that circ, in those circumstances... Um, the capacity, having the authority to gain attention, is really seen as being very valuable, uh, and that's why it's, it's it's so much discussed. But I think you and I are no less attentive uh, than in the past. Hmm. Uh, it, it's just that you know we've decided to pay attention to some things, but not to other things.
2: Yeah, we're yeah we're. I guess we're just directing the attention somewhere else. Frank, what would you suggest? You know, to maybe the parents out there. Um, that want to create a culture in their family of you know, fostering reading and fostering imaginative exercises that come when we're reading? What, what, should, what, what are some things we could do to create that culture in our family?
4: Well, I've got a few experiences in relation to that, just you know, being a father myself um, and having you know sort of talked to other dads. I, I, the one thing that I'm 110% certain about is the most important thing you can do as a parent is to be seen to be reading. Hmm. You, parents are often told to read to your child. and I think that that's fine, but that's not nearly as important in my book as your kid, you know, your two, three-year-old kid, four-year-old child, seeing mom and dad reading a book or even talking about the books that they are reading to each other. Because at that point, the child sees reading as, as not something people do because they have to do. It's not something to do because they're forced to do it. It's, they do it out of pleasure. It's a grown-up thing to do. And when kids see reading as a grown-up experience, not just something you outsource to, to a class in a school for kids, it increasingly begins to have a more attractive uh, aspect to it. Mm, the other yeah. thing that I find you know, really turns kids on, uh, and it, obviously it depends on, on the community you live in, but I always think if you can take your child when they're relatively young, to the library and and, and to make that an experience of adventure. When people go to the library, you know, you kind of uh, talk about the books, talk about the atmosphere, you know, make them understand that this library, this special place that they come to, you know, is really unique, has got, you know, incredible uh, kind of qualities to it. I think if if one can do that, if you could turn libraries into this uh, place of uh, of beauty and and, and, and int- intense enjoyment into an adventure, I think that that can really make reading seem something that, that you really want to do. It's not a drag. It's not something that's kind of forced upon you. It's it's like going to the playground, except it's full of books. Mm.
2: Yeah, and, and you get to go find your adventure. I mean, we go there, but we can also then explore and then set our mind up for adventures that we can bring home, read. Go back and just keep recreating the, the adventure. It's interesting. I was raised in a family where neither of my parents went to college or university, but they were they were uh, avid readers, both of them. And I'd always see on the side of their bed five, six, seven books that they were stacked up and reading one at a time. And it, it does. It instills this idea of of that's adulthood. That's what you do. But also just that that learning is a permanent part of life. It's not just something we do in school.
4: Yes, I, I, that's a key message to get across. That that books are not for babies. Mm. Uh, books are serious stuff that you know you, you know adults love, and enjoy getting into. And, and the more we can convey that impression that this is not an unnatural, artificial exercise, but something that people really look forward to doing, the, the more that kind of uh, vibe begins to in a, in a sense uh, uh signal you know sort of wonder and amazement to young people
2: mm. you really are it's i think it's a beautiful thing you're doing frank just uh by the way writing 17 books and uh I, as i've looked down the list of them we're gonna have to have you back just to simply talk about some of them the paranoid parenting i'd love to get into and where have all the intellectuals gone um, interesting stuff, Frank. We appreciate you, my friend. Uh, take care of yourself there in the UK, and uh, we'll have you back on.
4: All right, thanks very much. All the best.
2: Thank you. You too, Frank. Powerful stuff, Frank Firitti, uh, Again, he uh, former professor of sociology at the University of Kent and Canterbury. So powerful. Again, connected to him through Skype, talking about technology, and it comes back to folks. You, I mean, you read with your kids for sure. And be seen reading. And ask yourself, would your kids believe that you're a reader? Is there enough evidence in your home that you like to read? And read books. I mean, it's one thing to just read the news, right? That's great. But are you uh, are, are you opening up your imagination, your mind? Powerful stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. Remember, the goal of the show help you find the good in the world. One of the great ways to do it. The age-old way. Is through reading. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, talking about technology, it doesn't matter, right? Because in the end, there's some things that will always trump technology or advancements or law. There's some things that just are so old school, you're going to do it no matter what. For example, how about just a simple pillow fight? Just a simple pillow fight. A 20-year-old woman... Says she was attacked by a man with a pillow inside a St. John's County, Florida Walmart. Yeah, I
0: don't
2: think that was the audio from that. It was a pillow. That's what I imagine (laughs) it to be. The woman who wished to remain anonymous says a man ran up behind her and started hitting her with a pillow. She says she suffered multiple scratches to her back. She said the attack happened so fast. I just hear somebody running, and before I could even turn around, he smacked me really hard. with a pillow. Before she could what? Before she could even turn around, he smacked her with a pillow. I don't hear a pillow in that audio.
5: It's more its, it's more the energy behind me. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah.
2: And he's, yeah, he's going He's going off. She says the man then started to laugh. I was like, okay, that's not really cool. And then he laughed again. She said, with the help of a Walmart Walmart employee, she said the police were called and according to the police report, an 18-year-old suspect said it was a joke. A joke? Who grabs a pillow as a joke and just starts hitting someone with it? I don't know. How about an 18-year-old? <laughs> the guy's like, Hey, I'm really sorry. You know, he he claimed it's just – he just has weird ways – Of trying to meet people. So I think what we have here... I mean, I know it felt like an assault. I mean, I know that. Don't want to diminish that. I think what we have is an 18-year-old... Trying to make the moves on a 20-year-old girl. 18-year-old guy. Pillow fighting. Teasing her. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Not a lot of laughing.
2: It's just sad. I mean... Talk about reading. Everybody's been in a pillow fight. You just don't expect it at Walmart. I get it. I get it if you had gone and attacked an 80-year-old man, 70-year-old man.
5: Well, I feel it's something you have to emotionally prepare yourself for when you get in a pillow fight. That's
2: true. You want to know you're having a pillow fight.
5: And you need to know your enemy. That's a big part.
2: That's a really good point. These are all really good rules. If you're, you know, professionally going to pillow fight... Know your enemy. She's not Ronda Rousey. It's not like that. Just a pillow fight at Walmart. But, you know, the guy's like, yeah, I have some unorthodox ways of meeting people. Hey, next time, Skip, just walk up to her. Hello. How are you? What's a girl like you doing in a Walmart like this? Stuff like that. You know? Excuse me, ma'am, are you from Jamaica? No, why? Because Jamaican me crazy. And then hit her with a pillow. You know what I mean? That's how I met my wife. We went to the Walmart. <laughs> why are you laughing? I'm, I'm telling a story ma- about how I met my wife and you're laughing.
5: I'm laughing at um, Terry's disapproving face from within the producer booth.
2: I know. Terry didn't meet his wife at a pillow fight. Terry, have you ever had a pillow fight with the missus? He's got to come in and you haven't lived till you've had a good pillow fight.
3: When was the last time you had a pillow fight, Terry? Because you seem a little wound up, a little uptight. Okay. the, The thing I learned when he got married is for some reason, beds need to be decorated with lots of pillows. So there's 90 pillows on the bed. Sure. And there's there's a there's some apron thing that goes around the outside uh-huh. and there's yeah. extra covers that you're not supposed to actually sleep with. They're just there for decoration. Yeah, and you don't use them. You'll ruin them. So you have to undecorate the bed to actually, you know, go to sleep and if you dive into the pillows, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every night she comes walking into the room and I just start Tossing pillows. Tossing pillows in a corner where not they go. not at
2: her. You're not tossing them And at if she's
3: her. walking by, I hear. might pick up the rate of speed yeah. on the pillows or just, you know, be her a couple times. Does she just giggle and then start throwing them back and then you guys have a little pillow fight? Yeah, yes and no. She has her contacts out at that point, so she's basically blind. <laughs> so it's, I'm kind of taking advantage of the
4: situation. <laughs> Target it's <kinda> practice.
2: <laughs> Isn't that true? Every, you just brought up the pillows and every guy on earth has had to dig through the pillows to get to his bed. Yeah,
3: I mean that's a big deal. We were at the store. I go, "What are we looking for?" She goes, "Oh, we need we need bedding. We need what? Like, don't we need just pillow and some blankets? We're good." She, no, no, no. This this has to be right. Uh oh. Yeah, I mean the bed is sacred. And then it's decorated, and then there's a certain way that you need to arrange the pillows. Mm. And if I don't do it right, like, oh, that was a good try, but yeah, not yeah. even close. Let me show you. Can you drool? What, how,
2: what percentage of your pillows on your bed can you actually drool on? About 10%.
3: Yeah. That's sad. The ones at the bottom that are covered up that nobody sees. <laughs> Under the other 50 mm-hmm. pillows. I think, I, I think they do that just to get you tired. Is that what it is? Uh-huh. Man. I'd rather just sleep on the floor. <laughs> when your wife's out of town, because to re- on I don't have to wake up and redecorate. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Oh. Ugh,
2: just the idea of making that bed. It's like 30 steps. Ugh. Anyway, okay, pillow fights. You know, just watch out. If some, I mean, it's creepy. I get it. But, you know, this guy was probably just making a move. I have an odd way of meeting people. That's right. I have a really odd, unorthodox method to meet you imagine people. Imagine just walking Is that around. a
5: bad thing to say? No. For but future ben, reference?
2: Ben, when you're trying to pick a girl up, don't go to the Walmart and just start hitting her with a pillow.
5: Well, I, I thought a Walmart might be a good place yeah. to meet people. I'm not sure... No. Is it?
2: No, I wouldn't start there.
5: Okay. No. Go to the park. Okay.
2: Anywhere. You can, I mean, you can start there, but you might get arrested. Uh, we'll take a break, folks. Our number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. You can go find it at uh, iTunes or tune in, byuradio.org. Check out all those places for the podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU
6: Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. We've made it through another week, folks. It's Friday. Ha! <sighs> Relax. Sit back enjoy so much less is expected of you today than yesterday even. Ugh. Friday today you get ready for Saturday. Do you rake leaves? Or, I have, do, you, or do you have people to do that? Uh, I, we, I, I don't have to because we have a yard that's really large and trees that surround it, but they're all fairly young. Oh, okay. So we little trees. So one lawn mowing, and you have children, and I have five boys that would be the rakers if we needed them. Like earn your keep. Yeah, get out there, yeah. boys.
3: Go I, I I got home kind of late last night. My wife goes, "Oh, it's going to rain tomorrow." I'm like, oh, it's going to rain. My whole yard covered. You in leaves. need to get those leaves up. And I'm like, oh, I was hoping to do it later today, but it's going to rain all day today. So I was out last night. It's all dark. It's cold. Were you? Starting to sprinkle a little bit. I'm raking. Got like four and a half bags full. Well, I read an article that said many believe you should just
2: leave the leaves alone. Yeah. Let them sit there. Yeah. And then that makes it a nice, safe, warm place for all of the bugs, (laughs) the mice to live. I read that article too.
3: Yeah, I mean, I understand that, and I I kind of want to support that. You want to
2: support the mice
3: when you start creating this whole ecosystem of things you don't want in your house mm-hmm. that you're attracting to your house. Yeah, I would probably want to get those away from. Then Plan B. Yeah, you are. You should just rake the leaves into your garden areas to where there's dirt. Those are covered with more leaves. Yeah, I have a couple trees that. Uh, are you know, messy. What my
2: favorite thing to do. My neighbors hate it. Uh, if you leave the leaves – that sounds so weird to say. If if you don't leave touch the them, you just wait for a big windstorm, a big fall windstorm, and yeah. then they just end up in your neighbor's yard.
3: Yeah. Except my neighbors have big trees. So do See, I. See, my neighbors have a fence. We so they just get yeah. caught, and then <laughs> i got well. – mine I'll blow to the neighbor.
2: The same works with snow removal. I don't have to remove snow a lot of times because the wind will just blow mine up the street. Huh. It's it's kind of rude.
3: It's It's a bad neighbor thing, but hey – If you don't like it, put a fence up. So the trade-off last night was give the kid a bath Mm. or rake the leaves. Yeah, you chose the leaves because it was a solitary event. Less of a fight. Uh Uh-huh. And then
2: I don't have to let him play. And I bet you listened to a podcast. Yeah, I did.
3: Actually, several. See? Not a bad deal. Yeah, it was great. But didn't your son want to be out there with you? Uh, Usually we like to do that. He likes to play in the leaves. Yeah. But, you know, timing, weather, all that kind of stuff. Well, what I would do if I were you, go open some of those bags of leaves. Pour
2: them out maybe in his room. (laughs) Let him play.
3: (laughs) Don't know if mom would be into that idea.
2: Hey, mom doesn't need to know about it. That's what we can do today after work.
3: But then I'd have to clean it up. He can clean. No, he won't. He's four. (laughs) Lazy four-year-old.
2: Hey, uh, talk about a cool deal. What if I told you that you could, instead of going to work – you just get a telepresence
3: robot and send the robot to work for you no a telepresence robot is a basically an ipad on a stick basically that's uh, connected to kind uh, of some wheels like so a it motorized, can roll around yeah but it'll walk around it'll move around
2: but it it has a camera so it can see everything that's going on and it'll have your beautiful face and you can interact and talk to people
3: would you want me to kind of roll into the room yeah
2: because if I didn't want you in here, I just uh-huh. locked the door. I just okay. shut the door because right. the robot doesn't have arms. You can't open the door. And then you yeah. just have to bang, 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 try to look in. Wouldn't that be a great way to go to work? would be interesting. They're finding out that with schools, this is helping because a lot of kids can't go to school because they have a, they're sick or they have a, an illness that they, they'll catch infections or they're not mobile enough to get there. But they don't want the children to, to lose behind. the experience of school, so they get these telepresence robots and they move them around. It's a cool solution. Now they're finding out that they could actually use it as a psychologist. So the robot could have on the other end a psychologist, a school psychologist that could then be in five or six different schools at a time. And when there's a need, they they could go talk to the certain kids they need to talk to and still interview them like over FaceTime or Skype or whatever technology they're using. Yeah. That's cool. We're going to be talking to an expert on the subject, Dr. Aaron J. Fisher from the University of Utah. He's been doing research on it and uh, the power of these telepresence robots to maybe um, handle the shortage that exists in pediatric psychologists that they need at school. Save money, save time. I
3: wonder what it's like to interact with a robot. But then there's the, that difficulty of can you the really connect. get personal one-on-one connection with an iPad, basically. Well, you tell me. I don't don't know. you feel deeply connected to your iPad? No, not really. It's my wife. Oh, <laughs> I mean Ben loves
2: his. Every time I walk in, they're talking. Yeah, him and Siri. Siri. <laughs> he thought for years that Siri wanted him. Didn't you, Benny?
5: That was a hard day when I found yeah. out she didn't.
2: When we had to tell Ben that Siri talks that way to everybody. A, remember that. That was a harsh day. That was sad. Yeah, he just held her.
3: Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the world? There is. Thanks, Matt. Dozens of suspected radicals in the United States are under tight surveillance because law enforcement officials fear they might try to pull off a copycat version of the Paris attacks after being exposed to ISIS propaganda. This, according to FBI Director James Comey, during a joint briefing with U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch on Thursday. We take all threats seriously. We're acting aggressively to defuse threats as they emerge. And we are vigorously investigating and prosecuting those who seek to harm the American people. Lynch and Comey sought to reassure the American public telling reporters that they are not aware of any credible threats in the United States. House of Representatives voted 289-137 to on Thursday to approve a bill that requires strict new screening measures for Syrian and Iraqi refugees seeking to enter the United States. In the wake of the Paris attacks, some believe that Obama's plan to allow 10,000 Syrian refugees next year could allow terrorists to slip into the U.S. All-known Paris attackers so far have been French or Belgian nationals, as a matter of, uh, of fact there, I guess. In the defiance of party lines, 47 Democrats backed the bill. Three Republicans voted against it. The legislation expected to come up for vote in the Senate after Thanksgiving. President Obama has vowed to veto the bill. Jonathan J. Pollard, the American convicted of spying on behalf of Israel, walked out of prison this morning after 30 years, the Israeli prime minister reports, but the, but, oh, the Obama administration had no plans to let him leave the country and moved to Israel as he as he requested. He is required to stay in the United States under a parole situation for five years. Mr. Pollard, who was a navy, uh, was I guess a navy intelligence analyst, passed classified documents to Israeli handlers. The release from a federal prison in North Carolina early this morning after receiving parole on his life sentence, ending a long imprisonment that has long been a constant irritant mm. between the U.S. and Israel. Yeah, maybe this will change the relationship between bb and obama tell the next time they find out we're all spying on each other anyways according to a new survey from the pew research center more mexican immigrants have returned to mexico from the u.s than have migrated here since 2009 the study shows that overall flow of mexican immigration to the u.s is at its lowest since the 1990s additionally pew found that mexican-born population in the u.s declined to 11.7 million in 2014 down from 12.8 In 2007, a majority of those who left the U.S. since 09 left on their own accord. 61% of those who returned to Mexico cited family reunification as their main reason. Only 14% said their departure was due to deportation. Many who left cited recession and lack of jobs. Did any cite Donald Trump? Uh, No, that was not one of the...
2: Because he's in the news, right? He is. And he's got an attitude? Uh, You could say that. What's his attitude about this time?
3: Well, I believe yesterday he was kicking around the idea of registering all Muslim population. This was uh, something that was at a, uh, a rally. He oh, had a heckler. A, a heckler. This is how he dealt with a heckler yesterday.
6: 50 million people on food stamps. And I'll tell you what, if we had a real, if we had a real, hello, hello. Trump's a racist.
2: It sounded like Bernie Sanders.
4: You know, it's it's amazing. I mentioned food stamps, and that guy who's seriously overweight went crazy. He went crazy.
6: (laughs) Isn't a Trump rally much more exciting than these other guys?
3: Wow. There you go. It sounded like Bernie Sanders. Trump's a racist. It did. Wow. Bernie Sanders. But yes, the guy was large and uh, was carrying on, and uh, so... Uh, and this this brings up how – and then all, there's criticism like oh, that's, that, that doesn't sound very presidential to yeah. say that. But how do you deal with the heckler? Well, you the, just let him go? Well, and... I'm sure if we could listen to it, I'm going to guess.
2: But he would have said, isn't this more exciting? Isn't this more exciting? Can you imagine what they're doing at Jeb's
3: at Jeb's meetings? They're not like this. Or Ben Carson, maybe they're having a sleepover. <laughs> you know, that, those kind of comments. That's how he's been characterizing everyone. Good old Ben.
2: We haven't heard from him lately. Interesting. Okay, well, that's good news, I guess. For Trump. For Trump. <laughs> I mean, look how fast he is to just put someone down. And then he says he brings up the weight thing.
3: Yeah. Goes right for a, a put down of some sort. So Tough, I guess. Tough stuff. Well, Terry, thank you.
2: You're welcome. Well done. Hey, we are going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Aaron Fisher from the University of Utah will be joining us. He's been doing research on the impact and the use of robots to help with a shortage in schools of pediatric psychologists. You know, in schools already, there are uh, places where a student that can't attend because of health issues or other concerns can have a a telepresence robot, which is basically an iPad on a moving platform, uh, and it just runs around the school and it can hang out with his friends, it can go to class, it can socialize, it can even go out to recess and you know talk to people and be around people. Well now they're finding out what if you could actually have in every school a psychologist simply by having the psychologist be able to go talk to the student through technology. We'll be talking to Dr. Aaron Fisher about his research and uh, you know an interesting high-tech way to solve a, a very real problem in our school system. Stick with us folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend show. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. You know, in schools across the country, there is a shortage of psychologists who are able to meet the demands of students and teachers, researchers from the University University of Utah are devolving, are, uh, devolving robotic platforms to aid this shortage of pediatric psychologists. Now, who'd think about a robot to replace a psychologist? Well... It might not be what you're thinking. Their goal is to provide and implement needed programs through the use of telepresent robots. And these telepresent robots, it doesn't mean it's just a robot that's going to go talk to the kids on its own. It's really a human being running a robot through the school. And the robot is very simply this. An iPad linked to a psychologist somewhere in the country or in the state... And the psychologist can then move around, go drive the little robot anywhere it needs to go. And it's just uh, basically an iPad on a moving platform. And what uh, our, our next guest has been doing is leading the research behind this to see if it can fill the void for having school psychologists in the rural schools. Uh, joining us on the phone today is uh, University of Utah Professor Dr. Aaron Fisher. He is the lead researcher in this, and he, has been, um, he is a professor of educational psychology and psychiatry at the University of Utah and the director of university's technology in training, education, and consultation lab. Dr. Aaron Fisher, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
7: Thanks, Matt. Great to be here.
2: Good to have you. Now, so the robot, I mean, the robot's a little scary. Misleading. It's basically a moving device, right? That just has uh, a one of your psychologists on an iPad.
7: Exactly. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing as as you would video conference normally. However, you have the mobility that you don't have with just an iPad. Now, talk, so
2: talk to yeah, us about that. The, why? Why do we need? Why do we need this? Is there a shortage of psychologists, or are there, are there just some places? That we can't, you know, find somebody that wants to live to be to be working there,
7: right? Well, I think it's both of those things. Nationally, we have a shortage of school psychologists. In Utah, we have uh, even greater shortage. And then when you think about rural or hard to reach areas, it really becomes even more problematic. So this is really a way to provide access to individuals who may otherwise not be able to, to access school psychologists or specialists um, to help students with behavior, um, social-emotional problems, academic concerns, those types of things.
2: And I guess in a traditional school, I guess there's a, there's a psychologist that's on scene. Is that usually how it works? And then they just have hours where they can meet with parents or with the students? And is there one per school normally?
7: Um, that would be the ideal situation. Typically, it's one per every four or five schools. Oh, so wow, we're, yeah. We're really, Yeah, the distribution's really not there. And so the nice thing about this is there's, there's some areas, especially um, – more urban areas that have probably more of an access to these school psychologists who potentially could tap in um, and evenly distribute their services in areas that maybe don't have it.
2: Huh. So talk to us about uh, your research. What, what have you been testing? What have you been learning?
7: Yeah, well, you know, what we've been, what we've been initially doing was uh, using just iPads because the idea was, hey, we could bring people into schools. And the problem with that was we couldn't move around. And as you can imagine, students don't typically stay in one spot, so you can watch them the whole time. Right. And so we, we realized, you know what, we need to get mobile. And so after doing some searching online, um, I found some telepresence robots, and there's two that we use. One's called the Double Robot, and the other one's called the Kubi Robot. Um, and they, they allow for two different things. One, The Double Robot lets us actually move around the classroom, and we can actually move from classroom to classroom. So we can consult with multiple teachers regarding multiple students. Um, and the Kubi robot lets us stay in in one classroom, but move around that whole classroom hmm. kind of on a pivot. And so, the benefit of
2: you can yeah. watch the kids. I guess you can also talk to the teachers about what's going on with the children.
7: Exactly, and that's really the point of our consultative services is to help teachers uh, better manage behavior and academic problems of their students. And right now, we're in special education classrooms um, in Southern Utah, so it's been really exciting experience to work with these teachers um, because. These students particularly have you know, unique challenges that um, they don't necessarily learn about um, in their education, and it really uh, requires a lot more assessment, a lot more um, in-depth treatment. And so what we're able to do is really help coach them, provide them feedback and, and modeling so that they can be more effective teachers in the
2: classroom. Hmm. So I didn't, I didn't really realize what a resource you were to the teachers, as much. I always yeah. thought it was just to the children or their families, but really you are probably predominantly a resource to the teacher in how to interact and deal with certain behavioral issues.
7: Exactly, and then the other component is working one-on-one with students uh, around social-emotional problems, your typical kind of school counseling, and then the third part is, is providing parents some um, support so that they can implement similar procedures at home. So we're hmm. really trying to do what's called Conjoint Behavioral Consultation, which is really just a comprehensive pr- approach to get parents, teachers, um, all school staff involved, because that's what research shows. The more people we can get involved, the better the outcomes we're going to see for students.
2: We had one of our children um, that went to school as a, as a kindergartner and hated it, would never stay. Every time we dropped him off, he'd cry. We didn't know what to do. We gave him a lot of attention when we'd get there, and we'd spend hours trying to get him into the school classroom. Finally, the principal said, let's go meet with the school psychologist. We sat down in what was probably about – and the psychologist had already gone and evaluated our son and talked to our son and the teachers. And we sat down for probably 30 minutes and the, the counselor taught us that he's got social anxiety and gave us kind of a protocol for what we needed to do. And that involved the school principal who would meet us at the front and help us take him out of our car and take him into class and school. And anyway, it it worked and it healed and it helped and it was a beautiful experience and it didn't demand a lot of too much time. And right. I can just imagine how powerful this could be, you know, in a rural setting where a parent does not know what to do with their kid.
7: Exactly. And I mean, the, the approach that you're talking about and this, the experience that you had is really what we strive for. It's really getting everyone on board, um, trying to make sure that we can provide an individualized treatment so that we can have success. And in your case, the, the best part about it and what you said was that you started young. You started when you were in kindergarten. Yeah.
2: No, it was so powerful. In fact, that same child, within about a month, was just going to class on his own and was healthy and fine. Interesting story to make it uh, to kind of complete it. He just graduated from high school and, um, at his farewell assembly that he was performing in, the the school principal, Dr. Visciarelli, came and tracked him down and found him and gave him some of the candy that he used to give him in his office to when he was oh, trying wow. to calm him down. And it was this amazing full circle experience. But I also think we didn't know um, how how natural it was, like, for example, something like social anxiety. I was just imagining you guys could even give a protocol or videos that the parents could go watch and show them how to handle it. I mean, there's a lot of technology you could use to coach families.
7: Exactly. And, you know, I just received a small grant from the university last week to um, actually implement a web-based training program for teachers, but that could easily easily be adapted for parents and um, you know, the more, like you said, the more technology we can integrate in this process, the more accessible things can be for everyone.
2: Does it have the same impact, Aaron, as uh, being there face to face? Have you found that in your research?
7: Yeah, um, actually, my dissertation was looking at um, how acceptable is it when we're comparing it, and what we found was that it's equally as acceptable. So, um, you know, teachers find it to be as acceptable uh, with the robots. There's a there's this initial reaction where they're like, "Ooh, this is kind of weird," yeah, and then. As you kind of experience it more and more, the reaction changes, and they say, well, this is actually kind of cool. So, you know, the, the teachers are okay with it. The students, of course, love it. They, you know, they run up to it. There's a lot of woos and ahs when you walk into the classroom or roll into the classroom, as you can say. Yeah. Um, but it's a really – it's been a really positive experience. Um, we haven't really had any negative feedback from teachers, and this is really uh, the first – uh, kind of pilot study that we're doing of this this year and, and so far so good
2: does it do the children know what's happening do they know who is who the robot is representing do, do they know that that's a counselor that's coming in or do they think it's the police or just some spy from you know james bond
7: right right <laughs> you know i think the teachers are fantastic they do such a great job when when we bring it in the room we do sort of like a meet and greet so that it can kind of normalize the situation no, they neat. say oh here's dr fisher and you know, He's here to hang out with us today and watch what we're doing, and they all get really excited. Um, some of the classrooms in Southern Utah are STEM schools, so they all have iPads, and everyone wants to come up and take a picture with their iPad. It's huh. like a cool experience for them that they can get involved in.
2: Yeah, that is it's pretty cool. I, I know um, some of the research about, for example, journalism, when there's a camera on scene, it changes the behavior of people. Does having the robot in the room change the behavior of the children just because— they know they're being watched.
7: Um, I think there's an initial reaction to it. Um, I see a lot of students looking back and anecdotally, you know, their, their behavior problem in the beginning is a little bit different. But what happens is they tend to habituate, they get used to it, and it sort of just kind of floats in the background. And they, they kind of take on their daily routine as they normally would. Um, we haven't specifically evaluated the comparison to see um, if there's more or less reactivity. But what we do know from previous research is that even when people are in classrooms, um, the level of reactivity sort of doesn't really uh, impact the observation that students sort of do their thing regardless hmm.
2: you know it's it's such a great thing all of a sudden i I sense man you can you could pull in the uh the robot the telepresence robot and if if i was if I'm a psychologist, I could maybe just film the classroom for. An hour, but I could still maybe go. I mean, you probably have you probably don't do this yet because you're still in testing. But you could actually be filming and then go do go talk to another client somewhere else, come back and then re, and then evaluate the film.
7: Exactly, and that's that's really the goal that we have is can we get um, can we get cl- um, cameras in classrooms? Um, there's obviously privacy issues that we'd have to get around and, and making sure that people are comfortable with that. Um, but you know, being able to record that. And like you said, go around doing, doing work in other classrooms. It's really about maximizing our efficiency. Mm-hmm. These robots allow us to do that, especially in areas where you could have to travel 45 minutes between schools.
2: Mm. Oh, I know. In fact, I've actually done a speech for um, uh, a relationship building program for, uh, for the school psychologists, and they are killing themselves, like driving so far between schools after school, and yet and not being able to see everyone. I remember they were stressed about how ineffective they felt.
7: Absolutely. I mean, you're on the road. It's not like you can write reports. You know, it's not like right. you can really do anything productive. Um, and that was sort of the impetus for me when I was um, in graduate school at Louisiana State University. The schools I was working with for my dissertation were 45 minutes away, an hour away, and I couldn't do anything. And it was it was frustrating. And I I, I thought, you know, we have to figure out a way to make this better because – um, you know, everyone's time is incredibly valuable. And with the shortage and, and the need that students have, we need to really meet their needs.
2: Yeah. Well, what's the What are the downsides? What's the problems you're coming across when you think of the technology?
7: Yeah, well, you know, the biggest one is that the robots aren't very fast on carpet. So um, sometimes the teachers say, come on, hurry up. And, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, I, I'm kind of stuck. So um, they're really patient with me and they sort of just pick me up and I kind of go for a walk with them.
2: Oh, that's um, great.
7: So those are... Those are some of the limitations, but from a process standpoint, as far as getting the job done, we're really able to do all the things that we would uh, in person.
2: Isn't that great? I mean, because, again, your job's not to sit that You're not the teacher. There's hands-on with the kids. Your job is just evaluation, maybe conversation, and guidance.
7: Exactly. It's really a lot of coaching, a lot of meeting, a lot of performance feedback, telling them, hey, these are the things you're doing fantastic. Here are some things we can work on to improve a little bit better. Um, and teachers have been really responsive
2: to that. When when the when the robot turns on um, in the in the school, and once you're turned on and you're linked up, I guess you can control it and pretty much go anywhere in the school.
7: That's exactly right. Um, because the schools are wired, you know, with a wireless connection, um, I can drive anywhere there's Wi-Fi. So I can drive from classroom one end of school all the way to the other. Um, and typically, um, we have the robots in a central location so that we can kind of tap in. Um, because we do observations multiple times a week and there's multiple users interacting with the robot so it just makes it accessible kind
2: of for everyone do you how do you knock on a door Aaron your robot doesn't even have arms
7: (laughs) that that's the huge I think that's the huge limitation and and that's kind of the the comment I always bring up is I wish I had some arms yeah I'm sure future future iterations will have them Um, I can only imagine but Really, what we do is we rely on other technologies, so, so text messaging features um, and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm outside the classroom. Would you mind opening the door?" So, in that sense, it's, it's somewhat of a limitation. Um, but I think it, it yeah. also works well that we're not disruptive. Yeah, you know, I could I could drive myself aggressively into the door, but that would be problematic, <laughs> I'm sure.
2: You know, I can fix it for you. All you need is a little iTunes player. I guess you've got one on the iPad or whatever, and then you just need a really good speaker system. And then just start yeah, playing right. some really cool music. That's good. I need like a
7: um, like an imperial march or something. That's like right. That that's come right. By, you know? Here
2: comes Darth Vader.
7: Right.
2: <laughs> I think it's I think it's fantastic. And you know what else is really cool about it is our children will get used to this level of interaction. And I, I can imagine what when they're adults, you know how normal this will be. How really used, how habituated they'll be to it all.
7: Exactly. And that, that's really my hope, is that everyone's just used to these things. Um, there is sort of, with new, any new technology, there's apprehension. And I think that's completely understandable. But I think as more people interact with it and they get more comfortable, I think, you know, we'll start to see this just a level of, of ease when, when interacting with them.
2: Is this? Do you see that this could be, um, uh, for example, I'm communicating with somebody right now in Europe and helping them in managing anxiety and I'm doing it over Skype and the phone and, and FaceTime and everything is, is it, but I would call it more coaching is, 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 um, technology via Facebook. Is this, is it, is it acceptable? Does it work? And is it, does it only work at a certain level of like a level of coaching, giving skills and tools versus psych, psych, psychiatric intervention?
7: Yeah. Well, actually a lot of the research came out of, um, psychotherapy and psychiatry uh, regarding telehealth kind of in the beginning, and they've actually had a lot of success. And then what they found in, in some studies is that actually anxiety management, for example, doing your typical psychotherapy session through video conferencing is in some ways more effective. Um, they found that the, well, kind of the distance that's between the therapist and mm. the client uh, provides some ease. Where they don't have to feel as anxious as they would maybe in person. Right. Um, those are only a few studies, but um, the psychotherapy research has shown some really promising um, effects with telehealth in general.
2: Well, and how beautiful because then you can access everyone. Anyone that has a phone line or a Wi-Fi, you've got, you've got an, you've got an access point.
7: Exactly, and that's really the the plan. You know, how can we make sure that everyone who's in need of mental health services, um, how can they access it? How can we make it easy and affordable?
2: And they're already doing this with children that, you know, that have illnesses, that they're too susceptible to disease, they can't come into the schools, they're already using telepresence uh, robots anyway, and it's it's showing great success at building their social skills, their psyche, and their learning.
7: Exactly. And, and that's really funny you mentioned that. I was in the school um, a couple weeks ago, and, and I bumped into a few students in the hallway, and they said, oh... You're you're a teacher, but you're sick, and that's why you have to go on this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the uh, sick said, teacher that would infect us all.
7: Right. I said, well, actually, I'm okay. I'm just in Salt Lake City. I'm really far away.
2: Hey, what's going to happen, Aaron, the day some deviant child picks you up and runs away with you?
7: Right, and that's a that's definitely a problem. Um, or just tips you are, over. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I've had my own accidents driving it. They're um, they're really stable, but if, of course, like anything, if you bump into something too hard, it'll fall over. Um, But the students have been pretty respectful so far. Um, I usually in the beginning lay out some ground rules when I'm working with them, saying, hey, no, make sure you you keep your hands calm and try not to touch the robot. Um, And they're pretty respectful. And we try to give a lot of praise for when they are compliant and they they follow through with those tasks.
2: Oh, my heavens. It's cool. I think it's great, especially because I have a complete, you know, healthy love of psychologists in school. And I think they're underutilized. And part of that is, yet they're probably overworked because there's such a shortage of them. So if, if, if this can help more, and I just think of, like, the kid whose parents are going through a divorce, for them to be able to come in and just sit down for a half hour and be able to talk to the, the psychologist over the phone, I mean, it really can save a child's psyche.
7: Absolutely. I mean, I think that is so important. And, and we really know that as, as long as the students are supported, um, regardless of the circumstance that they're going to do better, and yeah. that's, so, that's such the important factor.
2: It's awesome. Good stuff. Aaron, well, we appreciate you, my friend. Keep up the great work there at uh, the University of Utah, and we look forward to hopefully seeing you driving around the schools. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for having me on this Thanks, morning. Aaron. Appreciate you. Take care. Dr. Aaron Fisher from the University of Utah. Man, robots, folks. Robots. I think that's so awesome. Psychologists, I'm telling you, they, they changed and saved – a young family many moons ago, 18 years ago, uh, probably 14 years ago, and we didn't know what we were doing. We just thought we were, we had a really difficult child. But they just like, oh no, he's normal. Imagine the coaching. Imagine if they could say, great, let me send you some links to five videos you can go watch about how to drop your child off, how to decrease anxiety, and do a lot of coaching. Powerful stuff, folks. In fact, uh, the reason I'm so curious about it is I'm seeing more and more of my clients that would rather talk to me over the phone over the internet, over Skype and uh, it does work, powerful stuff we'll take a break, stick with us folks we'll come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Cool stuff, huh? Telepresence. Can you imagine you walking down the hall and you just walk by two or three robots, just little iPads on wheels at about eye level. It's pretty amazing, and I think there's a there's there's an opportunity for all of us. I mean, the the great thing about life today is it doesn't have to end you know, just by you going to a building to be educated. You can now get online and find free online classes from Stanford University. Every major university is offering different types of online experiences. You can go to YouTube. Uh, One of the great books of all time that every human being needs to read is a book by Viktor uh, Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, and it talks about you know his life as a as a Jewish psychiatrist in Auschwitz and it is the most incredible thing you can understand it's just such a powerful book well you can go to YouTube and if you look up Viktor Frankl man search for meaning you can go listen to the entire book online free just free it's amazing and technology it's not going away folks it's not going away it's uh, and it could be used to our advantage so if it weirds you out a little bit that there's a you know there's a robot running around school imagine the poor family in rural oklahoma and they're you know an hour from the next city or town and they have a school with whatever, 800 students, and who's supposed to go meet with them over their psychiatric issues? More and more we see psychiatric issues are impacting, mental health issues are impacting society, and maybe this is a way that we can start to catch some of those situations a little earlier. Plus the mere fact that um, just some of the, the, the teachers, they can't know everything, so instead of trying to have the teachers have to know everything, maybe it's more valuable if the teachers can just teach and let expert psycho- psychologists and child psychologists, let them do some of the coaching for how to handle certain behavior issues. And as we saw in the video of the police officer coming in and uh, you know quickly yanking that student out of their chair, creating a major you know, incident uh, nationally – Maybe it's better that we watch what happens, we video what happens, we go in and assess and evaluate what's happening in behavior in classrooms and use some technology more to our advantage. I don't know. It uh, seems kind of like a a win-win. I don't know how we're going to lose by the use of technology. So anyway, lucky to have it. Hey uh, – <laughs> Here's here's a couple of crazy stories about um, students. So let's say you failed a, a major test in your university. Would you ever sue because the test was just too stressful for you? Around 100 engineering students approached the high court seeking compensation for the mental agony they suffered after failing their exams. The students of Visvesvaraya, I don't know where that is, oh, in India, Technological University, claimed that they were guinea pigs for a new non-scientific examination method that was introduced in 2014-2015. They also wanted the court to direct the university to admit them to the next uh, semesters. The high court was, however, not amused. It says, if a student fails in the examination and consequently suffers from mental agony, it does not mean that the examining body has to give them damages. The question of giving damages would arise only if the examining body had acted arbitrarily, the court order stated. Well, let's be real. For as long as man has existed, teachers have been creating mental agony for their students. So we can't start now to pay to to pay uh to pay for that mental agony and suffering. It was a test. And you failed. I'm sorry it stressed you out. But according to the courts in India, you gotta deal with it. You can't blame them. Do you get stressed out, Benny?
5: Um after like an hour in a test, I'm just like, screw it. Not doing it. And, well, I do it, but I'm like, if I fail, I fail. If I don't, I don't. But my dad has has really good
2: stories. And about, your dad's a teacher.
5: Yeah. So he there was this one time where he got fifteen emails from men in the class and they said, Sorry, I can't take the cl- I can't take the test because my wife's in labor. Fifteen different <laughs> guys. Really? And so my dad said, Okay, just, just send me a picture of the kid. Of the newborn baby, and then we can reschedule it. We're good. He got one picture.
2: Wow. So the other 14 didn't have cameras? I
5: guess so. guess
2: they couldn't, they didn't have a camera. Like,
5: kind of rude of my dad for assuming (laughs) that everybody had cameras.
2: 15 15 guys were using excuses that their wife is in labor, Mm -hmm. and only one could show a picture of a baby. Yeah. I mean, you could find a baby online.
5: Yeah, just a little bit of Photoshop. <laughs> like these are college students. I I'd expect that they have I more mean, is that the
2: excuse you use? I, I wonder if half
5: of these guys were even married. Probably not. There was also one where a student said he couldn't take a test because he felt unprepared.
2: Yeah. Which Yeah, you know, uh professor, I can't take this test cuz I uh I just don't feel prepared. Uh, well, yeah, um So study. Yeah, you were supposed to study to take the test. Yeah, you know, I don't even feel prepared to study, you know, to tell you the truth. (laughs) It's amazing that people still go into the profession of teaching because it's so – got to deal with all of this. And the cheating and now the fear of being arrested. If you say something wrong, if you do something wrong – I mean I don't know how you don't just start chasing kids around your room. (laughs) Oh, there there are teachers that do that. Not here at BYU. I mean at other schools, you're saying. Yeah. Other universities.
5: Well, yeah, sure.
2: Yeah. So you're not going to be a school teacher, is that what you're saying?
5: Probably not. I don't think I'd enjoy that very much.
2: Hmm. You know what it is? Maybe it's about responsibility, Right. It's it's about responsibility. There's a Florida couple. Did you hear this crazy story? There's a Florida couple that's suing Apple for $5 million. They, they've, they have a class action lawsuit, a $5 million class action lawsuit against Apple. It was filed back in October. But uh, basically, Apple put a new feature on their phone called Wi-Fi Assist. And what it, make, what it does is Wi-Fi Assist is a new feature in Apple's latest mobile operating system, iOS 9. And it automatically switches your iPhone connection from Wi-Fi to your carrier cell phone network if the Wi-Fi signal is too weak. So it automatically bumps you over, right? Sounds like a great gift, except it's, char- it's like racking up charges with all of your, uh, your cell phone carriers and your networks. So you actually have to go in and turn off Wi-Fi assist as a feature. Well, this couple didn't do that. And in the end, it's they they had overage charges, a lot of charges on their phone, and now they're suing.
5: Did it amount to $5 million?
2: No, but it's probably pain and suffering. Oh, mental anguish. Yeah. I mean, the anguish when you've got to try to explain. We just had it. this This month. Halfway through the month, we got a message saying, you guys have used 90% of your data. And the minute my wife saw that, I could just see the fear in my kids' eyes. How were you going to
5: tell your children?
2: <sighs> yeah, she, she it got ugly. Some and,
5: people worry about food on their table.
2: Yeah. The scary thing, by the way, guess who was the third biggest user? Me. And she looks at me like, pfft. What's up with that? Yeah. Ah, I've been watching The Office on Netflix. I can't stop. I'm addicted. Anyway, crazy, crazy stuff. So whether it's the students suing over the exam or just the Wi-Fi users suing, I mean, I guess that's one way to do it. But, you know, that this has all been out in the news now. So if you're still being surprised by Wi-Fi Assist, maybe, you know you got to watch out for it. There is a day we're celebrating today that might have something to do with what we're talking about. It's called National Absurdity Day. The children love it. And this is the day it was created to recall and note some of the totally and absolutely absurd things in history. The absurd things in our country and in our lives. Just the zany, crazy, absurd things. National Absurdity Day. Everyone has an excuse today to let out Some absurd antic that uh, you've been waiting to just release. Except for you, Ben. Sorry. You are not allowed.
5: Do I lack absurdity?
2: You don't lack it. You have an abundance. You have a plethora of the absurd. Talk about absurd. You won't believe this one. This is crazy town. Uh, They call it the tamale takedown. A traveler carrying 450 illegal pork tamales. So you think illegal immigration is bad? What about illegal importation of pork? The contraband was carefully wrapped in corn husks and concealed in the luggage of a traveler. When authorities moved in for a tamale takedown at uh, Los Angeles International Airport, the search by U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents turned up 450 Pork tamales individually packaged in plastic bags. Although the tamales are popular, are a popular holiday tradition, foreign meat products can carry serious animal diseases, said Ann Marisich, uh, who is the director of field operations for U.S. Customs and Border Protection. So you're not – you can sneak a tamale over, but you can't be sneaking a tamale with pork in it. So this woman apparently or these these people apparently they said that they had the tamales and they knew that the tamales contained corn which they I guess declared but they didn't declare the meat. Ah. So the tamales were seized on November 2nd at the airport and a huge tamale party was held by the border patrol agents. <laughs> I actually made that part up. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. But you know that's what they you know that's what they did. They said they destroyed them. Right, I bet they did. My kids say that all the time. Dad, I destroyed that dinner, man. I just snarfed it right down. The traveler, by the way, was assessed a $1,000 civil penalty for commercial activity with the intent to distribute. I mean, if you're worried about illicit stuff coming over the border. Ah. It's the tamales I'm not worried about. I'm kind of worried about guns, terrorists. I mean, I guess you don't want bad pork in the country.
5: What incites fear more? Bad pork
2: <laughs> or well, or like terrorism?
5: Yeah. Well, bad pork could be considered terrorism.
2: If, you, if you've ever had really bad pork, it's like terrorism. <laughs> what were you arrested for, Stacey? Um, just, I don't know. Illegal activity with the intent to distribute tamales. You make me sick. <laughs> oh, I love it. See, is that absurdity day? No, just protecting us. Not crazy. We have these huge debates about who's coming across the border. We're offending a bunch of people. And we're still catching the tamales. We have illegal pork smugglers. In fact, uh, we have some audio of what was happening when they were arresting this person at the border. They've got great music at the Border Patrol office. This is the music they played for the Tamale Fest 2015. Best tamale cookout held by the Border Patrol this year. Mmm. I just had tamales the other day. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live longer, love stronger. And today we're helping you celebrate the absurd. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back right after the break. This is the show where we give you the information, the background, the experts to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Top of the morning to you. It's actually near the bottom of the morning for most of you. And welcome to the program. Man, we got a great show uh, today. We're going to get into the news in just a few minutes. Some of the crazy headlines going on in uh, Mali. Holy cow. Terrorists are at it again. Taking over a, a Radisson hotel. Um, we'll get an update on that. also the war on terror obviously a world war uh, not just located in the Middle East anymore or France. Now even Italy is under um, under a, a, an extreme watch uh, and danger potential where they're now looking for five men in Italy and there there's three locations that uh, they have data that were under you know, possible attack. I mean, under a watch of possible attack at these three locations. It's scary. So now Italy's involved. They were the subject of chatter, as they call it. Chatter. Is chatter... Isn't chatter what the producers all do? They just chatter?
3: Well, when they're not working? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like that. You'll hear the... Um, what, the, uh, what the attorney general or the head of the FBI mm-hmm. and they go Whoa, well, the latest communications chatter that we hear you're like well, um, <laughs> what is that what is chatter what is that you know it seems kind of a there is a chat. I, there the chatter yeah
2: chatter you, to me is what you hear when you walk you, in you your think, teenage girls yeah. party
3: you think government professionals would have a better term than chatter yeah, And they're talking about, you know, their wiretaps or they're listening to cell phones or emails or that's social right. media, all this stuff. They just call it chatter. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it, it fulfills the definition. It's I think just it's noise. Just, yeah. yeah, you don't want, I mean, threatening talk. That just sounds. But you see some guy standing up there in a suit looking tough, and he says, the chatter says, me, 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 That's kind of what I think that's when I hear that word. That's the chatter is right
2: there. That's beaker. Yeah. That's beaker chatter, which is a little bit different than terrorist chatter. But uh, so that's going on in Italy as well. Um, it's just – it's it's there's just a lot of tension. And then back home, it's like, yeah, no one from Syria can come in. If you're a Muslim, we got to put you on a registry. Yeah. That's the uh, – It's the reactivity. And we saw the same thing after 9-11. We, you see it. After big terrorist events, everyone I, kind of –
3: Freaks out a bit. We're reacting to fear. Yeah. And people say don't do that, but at the same time, if you don't, then what happens? Right. I mean, if you don't react to fear, then you just got to react to
2: like Donald Trump did. Great audio we've got for you of Donald reacting to a heckler in his audience.
6: 50 million people on food stamps. And I'll tell you what, if we had a real – if we had a real – hello – Hello.
2: Trump's a racist. Trump's a, ra- Trump's a racist.
4: You know it's it's amazing. I mentioned food stamps and that guy who's seriously overweight went crazy. He went crazy. <sighs> Isn't a Trump rally much more exciting than these
6: other guys?
2: You would never get a ra- you'd never get a guy yelling he's a racist at any other event. No. And it did sound like Bernie Sanders if you play it back. No, it wasn't. It was. I, I do we know that? Yes,
3: I, I saw the video. No, but did you see? Did, I saw the large
2: individual. Did you it see was his mouth yelling? Moving. Yes, I did. But did, were you sure that the sound wasn't Bernie behind him yelling? It's a racist. He's a racist. Because no, I think but... Bernie was crouched down behind the guy. Really? Yeah. Conspiracy now and yelling because that you can't. That voice yeah, was
3: totally Bernie. It sounds like Bernie. <laughs> anyway, so Donald Trump's still on it. They might be from the same neighborhood. Yeah, but they are. The heckler, the heckler and Bernie Sanders. It is. Yeah.
2: It's that, yeah. It's the same neighborhood. <laughs> oh, but Donald then just offends the guy. Did he? He's
3: pretty offensive. Didn't the guy offend Donald Trump by interrupting well, I know, the, but, the rally? But you don't, you don't fix an offense by being offensive. Trump does. Right. And every time he does, it seems his poll numbers go up. Yeah. So is that the new way? Well, I'm pretty sure right there he may have lost the overweight food stamp eating bunch. I think we've probably seen a lot more more reaction to that. There's more reaction to him wanting to possibly set up a Muslim registry <laughs> than heckling a overweight guy.
2: Yeah. They're all – everyone's just jumping. Everyone's jumping.
3: But that, that's kind of where the, the, the public mind is and so you well, address you, that. Well, you take
2: your poll. Yeah. And then you start
3: jumping with them. The Ted, problem is Ted Cruz is setting up a what's he calling it? It's like a prayer coalition. Okay. Where the, uh, it'll launch in December.
2: Uh-huh.
3: It'll be there'll be a hotline where you can call in and request, you know, this subject matter to be prayed about. Okay. And his team of prayers, uh-huh. I do there's a better name he has for it, but there's a, a set of like five squad. five people on mm-hmm. his staff who will then have a conference call where you can call in and listen as they pray for these subjects.
2: Okay. This is Ted Cruz. Running, yes. He's
3: running for president. Yes. And um, is this a part of his platform? We're going to
2: pray our way? Yeah. I mean, I love it. I'm a pray. I pray. It just seems like that's not what you'd do as a presidential
3: candidate. He's setting up a prayer hotline, mm-hmm. and he's going to... I guess it have a, this be a part okay. of his campaign. Well, he, I mean,
2: I mean, some do foreign policy, some you know, some are going to work on immigration. Yeah. Some are just going to pray. I think it's great, bring more prayer. I mean, he's going to do, do all hurt.
3: He's going to do all that too. This will just be another facet of his of his campaign. Wow,
2: okay. Man. <laughs> I've missed a lot. I just haven't been paying attention. I've been watching all of the terrorist information mm. and I'm missing what's going on. Here. Here. So
3: let's probably get to it, uh, Terry. What headlines, what else is going on in the news that we need to pay attention to? Uh, Hillary Clinton, speaking in New York City on Thursday, explained that battling ISIS is a worldwide fight and America must lead it. Clinton detailed a three-part plan for taking down the terrorist group, including defeating ISIS in Syria, Iraq, and across the Middle East, disrupting and dismantling international terrorist networks, and hardening American defenses against homegrown terrorist threats by attacking virtual territory – And working with Muslim leaders and local law enforcement, Clinton also directly addressed anti-refugee rhetoric.
8: Islam is not our adversary. Muslims are peaceful and tolerant people and have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. The obsession in some quarters with a clash of civilization or repeating the specific words radical Islamic terrorism isn't just a distraction. It gives these criminals, these murderers, more standing than they deserve. It actually plays into their hands by alienating partners we need by our side.
3: As we've been following all morning, there's a terrorist incident happening in the country of Mali. The Pentagon said six Americans were rescued from the Radisson Hotel there in Mali by U.S. Special Forces Friday. U.S. forces have helped move civilians to secure locations. As local forces work to clear the hotel and of hostile gunmen, Lieutenant Commander Anthony Falvo said French special forces and Mali military are also, or the Mali military, are also reportedly responding to the attack by terrorists that took at least 138 people hostage. 80 people reportedly have escaped the situation huh. as of as of now. The House of Representatives voted 289 to 137 on Thursday to approve a bill that require, requires strict new screening of measures for Syrian and Iraqi refugees. Seeking to enter the United States, the legislation is expected to come up for vote in the Senate after Thanksgiving. President Obama has vowed to veto the bill. A fifty-state study conducted by the Center for Public Integrity found that just three states—Alaska, California, and Connecticut—scored above a D plus when graded on a standards A through F scale for corruption, transparency, and accountability in government. Hmm, only three. Only three—Alaska, California, Connecticut—scored above a D plus. Wow. Most states received a D grade, but 11 failed completely. The survey ranked states in 13 categories, including audit, processing, lobbying, disclosure, ethics enforcement, and campaign finance.
1: Hmm.
4: Corruption.
3: So, so, so wow. Three states, a D plus or better. Yes. That's pretty pathetic. Sound like my report card. Two men will convene in a Jackson, Mississippi conference room t- this afternoon ready to play a game of chance for a seat in the state's House of Representatives. Really? The Clarion-Ledger, the new local newspaper, mm-hmm. reports there is a tie between incumbent Democrat Blaine Bo Eaton and GOP er Mark Tulio's for the District 79 seat, with each claiming 4,589 votes. Exactly each, huh? Exactly even. That's amazing. So they're going to figure the winner out, as it says, by lot. Oh, they're going to cast lots. According to the New York Times, the, uh, many states use this system to break electoral I mean, so ties. they're going to do case lots, so they'll probably go to, like, Costco wow. and do a case lot sale. who will get some soup. <laughs> Whoever can get the most per pound. Bars of soap. But it says, after rejecting the idea of a good old-fashioned coin toss, okay. a straw method was chosen. Weird. Okay. So at 1.30 yeah, this gonna... afternoon local time, the men will reach into a bag containing two boxes, And the contender who finds the box with the long green straw will be the winner. Interesting. Should we decide elections this way?
2: Well, to me, it seems like they should have a duel. They should just each... That could work. ...get a gun, and we duel. I mean, that's how how real men would do it,
3: Drawing straws. Probably not going to happen. I know. Gunplay isn't really... And the coin, it's interesting they didn't want the coin toss either. Yeah. But they'll take the random box in a bag with a straw in it. I'm not sure why you would. What's the difference between the coin toss or the yeah, ran, As you're saying, the box
2: like in the bag. It's just random either way. You know what I would have done? Two out of three leg wrestling. You could do that. Game I'm of a, horse. You could play a game of horse. But yeah, but see, then that gives advantage to the the ball player. See, the leg wrestling it just gives advantage to the stronger leg wrestler. Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, that gives advantage to the uh you know the the smart one, the one that's read a lot.
3: Yeah, maybe it is the straw. Maybe that's the easiest yeah. one. Yeah. I, I just find it odd that you, you go through the whole process, mm-hmm. you vote, it comes down to a game of chance, or as they call a lot. You know what? Spin like, the bottle. Spin the bottle. It's yeah, odd. You never know.
2: Interesting news, isn't it crazy? Is this what yeah. We'll, uh, have to figure this out hey we're going to take a break when we come back Rod Gustafson will be joining us as he does every Friday from parentpreviews.com he remember is our film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective he's going to walk us through two uh, movies that are being released I think believe today Hunger Games is one, one of them Mocking Mockingjay Part 2 uh, pretty powerful um, movie and also Love the Coopers we'll be getting into that one as well with rod gustafson when we come back after that we're going to be talking with the producers my producers and uh, i think they're going to be teaching us about i don't know i think uh holidays Mm, thanksgiving even being grateful stick with us folks this is the matt townsend show helping you find the good in the world we'll be right back Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, and Friday means it's time to talk movies. Who better to do that with us than Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com. He, again, is a film critic, and he specializes in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. And if you go to his website, parentpreviews.com, you can see a breakdown of the latest movies and really uh, the watchouts, the things you need to watch out for with your family, things that might you might be able to talk about after, Just a really thorough review for us, uh, for we as parents, to to know how to handle the media. Rod, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hi, Matt. Great to have you. This is is fun. It means it's Friday. That's exactly what it means. Yes, I agree. Two movies we're going to be reviewing today. The first is The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. Talk about that.
8: Well, this movie is important mainly because it is the final movie in The Hunger Games. And, uh, you know, by this point... This film is critic-proof. It doesn't matter what I say about this movie. (laughs) There is going to be a segment of the audience that have invested in this. They've read the books. They've seen the the previous three movies, and they are going to see this movie no matter what anybody says. Um, I've always had a love-hate relationship with The Hunger Games, Matt, because I feel like there is a good message in these movies, particularly about the media, about what motivates us, Uh, what our our deep inner motivations are to do things. There's messages about pride, messages about selfishness. But those messages, you've got to think about this movie and and the others that, that preceded it in order to be able to really get those productive messages out of them. Otherwise, even though this movie in many ways is very critical of war, it's very critical of violence, if you don't think deeper about it, it's just another entertainment franchise with a lot of war and violence.
2: Well, and how many times do we not have the conversation? So we go watch the movie together, but we don't necessarily bring up those questions.
8: And the good thing about the Hunger Games is that even though, you know, this was primarily targeting an older adolescent and maybe 20 something audience. It really is. It, I mean, I think they're pretty. They're pretty good movies. I was going to say entertaining. I hate to use that word because it, there is a lot of violence in them. But they're they're they are, for lack of a better term, an action thriller. And they are put together quite well. They move along quite nicely, I mean, They're a little bit longer than they need to be. But otherwise, though, I mean, they're a pretty decently made film. And so this is a movie that if you do have teenagers that want to go see this, go see it with them because this you will enjoy this movie most likely as well. And especially if you've read the books with them and that type of thing, it's great to participate in the media that your kids are interested in.
2: Totally, and I think about um, – that's one of the things I love about your website because they, if they go to parentpreviews.com, they can see your, your review of it and then they can, they can even get the watchouts, but they can also sometimes get a prompting of, of some things you might want to talk about.
8: Yeah, exactly. We actually we usually we post uh parent discussion questions for every movie that we review uh to give parents some ideas of things to talk about and things to look at more deeply in the film. We we know a lot of teachers use those too and we're really mm. happy that they do.
2: That's I mean that really is the 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 benefit of the movie isn't just to be solely entertained but the discussions that can come out of it like you were saying here the media discussions about how the media can influence or just how polling can influence. So, Black in, in the end, it feels like there's so Ford many Ford different ways pricing. to that make happen uh, something happen. Hang on SUVs. one second. There, there we go. I don't know what just happened there for us, Rod. <laughs> hey, anyway, <laughs> talk to us about um, you. What, what, what rating did you give? What ranking did you give?
8: Well, the Hunger Games have been pretty consistent for us. All of the movies got a B minus, except for the previous one to this one. Uh, Mocking J Part One got a C plus. And our other reviewer, Carrie Bennett, and I, we had a long talk about that one. I was in the B minus camp. She was in the C plus camp. She won. Um, <laughs> uh, but this one, I felt like that previous one really was a bit slow. They did with The Hunger Games what they're doing with so many of these book trilogies now where Hollywood figured out with Harry Potter, break that last book in half and uh, you can get two movies and double, double the revenue. And so that is what they've been doing. And that's what's happened with this one as well, which I, I think, uh, you know, having not read the book, Matt, okay, so yeah. I'm one of the dozen people that haven't read it. Um, I don't, you know, I can't really say for sure could they've done that whole book in one movie. But I know the previous uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 moved quite slowly. Hmm. So anyway, as far as this one goes, though, a B minus grade overall on it. The biggest issue in this movie is the violence now relative to other pg-13 action films the violence in this i mean there's a lot of it but there's very little blood uh it is quite sanitized so you what will see worse violence in other pg-13 movies here's the good news not a single word of profanity that we heard wow. in this movie. oh that's or great in a previous film yeah yeah, The Hunger Games, they are quite devoid of profanity, which we like, and really no sexual content either. I mean, you get a, a young couple that shares a kiss, and then we do see them for a moment in, if you can believe this, in a non-sexual situation, sharing a bed together. So, <laughs> I mean, that's it, though, for sexual content. So, really, it's all about the violence. That would be the biggest reason why perhaps you would be concerned about having younger people see this movie.
2: <laughs> great. I mean, it's a great review, and... Uh... I mean fairly – other than the violence, fairly I guess safe generally. But I think too rich in potential conversation if you bring it up.
8: Well, and I think that is what—that's why I feel like I've got one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake, like so many other movies, but this one especially. If parents share this with their with their young people and go see it with them, uh, it can really be a much more productive experience. Mm -hmm. I might also add as well. This will, as far as I'm aware, this will be the last new movie that you will see Philip Seymour Hoffman in. Uh, Of course, the the wonderful actor who passed away uh, just as they were wrapping up these two movies because they shot part one and part two at the same time you'll know this so here's a little thing to watch for in this movie i don't want to give too much away but right near the end of the movie there is a little scene where a character reads something that is a message from philip seymour hoffman's character and that's how they worked around it the director okay. of this film didn't want to use digital effects or anything yeah. To
2: try yeah Yeah, that's interesting, man. Talk. uh, We've got about one minute left. Talk about love. The Cooper's.
8: Love the Coopers. This is what I like to call the annual dysfunctional family holiday movie. The good news is this year's annual dysfunctional family holiday movie actually takes place at Christmas. Most of them take place at Thanksgiving. They actually say the word Christmas in here. And get this, Matt. One of the characters who comes into this film, he's a a young man. He's about to be deployed in the military and the daughter of this family meets him at the airport, invites him home for dinner. He's a Christian and Mm. he is an honorable Christian and actually turns out to be one of the heroes of this movie. I was impressed. So if you can wade through all the uh, sexual language and crude anatomical terms, (laughs) there's a little bit of a golden nugget in this movie, which is why it gets A B
2: B minus, and uh, it's a PG-13 movie
8: with with John
2: Goodman and Diane Keaton.
8: Yes, it's got great actors, Olivia Wilde, Amanda Seyfried, there are a lot of famous faces in this film. But, again, it just seems to wallow in a lot of this kind of, you know, sexual discussion, scatological mm-hmm. humor, that type of thing. And uh, it's it's unfortunate that they do this so frequently with these holiday movies. But well, this one, it's a little bit better than some of the others oh, we've that's seen. That's good.
2: Well, and again, if it's an annual dysfunctional family holiday movie, many of us don't need that because we live it every holiday. Right? <laughs> so... <laughs> Is true. <laughs> if if you have your own dysfunction at home, maybe that's one you won't want to see. Well, Rod, we appreciate you, my friend. Uh, again, everybody, go check out the website, parentpreviews.com. You can also look up uh, Rod on Twitter, at Rod Gusto, at Rod Gusto, to get more information. He's he's a great resource to all of us uh, as parents and families. Let's use him a little bit more. Folks, we'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, our producers are in studio they're going to uh, they're going to enlighten us about uh, the holidays and gratitude. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. Dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt. Welcome spring. back, friends. Mm. My favorite things. There's uh, Kaylee Dane singing. Liz Miller's joining us. Two of our producers that they're the ones that make the show happen. And uh, or, or not you know, <laughs> the days it doesn't happen.
0: <laughs> That's our fault.
2: It's uh, it's because of one of these two. Kaylee, also known as uh, Kimchi and Koala. And Liz Miller's joining us. How are you, ladies?
9: We're great. Yeah. Thanks
2: for being here today. Yeah. What, uh, what are we talking about from the producers?
9: We wanted to talk about Thanksgiving. And what are your plans?
2: What, um, we will have a turkey bowl, which is going to be a big game You and this your year. kids? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. But I have a lot of kids, so we have, it's a big bowl. Um, but this is the first year I haven't had plantar. Fasciitis, so right. I'm probably gonna open it up and you know show them how it's done. There you go. What are you guys doing?
9: I'm going to visit my parents in Ohio. Okay, I moved. That's right. Yeah.
2: yeah. How about you, Elizabeth?
0: I'll be at my grandmother's. Oh. I think. Oh. I, sorry, you said turkey bowl, and I was thinking as a kid, I literally thought you took a turkey. And you rolled it yeah, yeah, yeah. down an aisle toward uh-huh. pins, and that was No, horrible. that's what we do. That's what we do. I'm pretty I'm sure I actually did that, too, in elementary school. Did it's you? Really? Stuff. Yeah. You're
2: wow. going to be at Grammys, and you're going to be in Ohio.
9: Yes.
0: Do you
2: want to tell them where in Ohio so people from Ohio can find you?
9: Sure. Um, Powell, Ohio, the address. Okay, maybe not. Don't <laughs> go that
2: far. Just You know, they can find you. Yeah. They'll, I mean, they'll find it. They'll know. It. So, um, but it's a great, does, do you like this holiday season? Do you like this time of year? Is this a good holiday for you guys? I know you eat really healthy, <laughs> so this might not be as fun for you.
9: No, I, I like it.
2: I mean, you're going to have a tofurkey? Uh,
9: no, my my dad smokes it in the smoker.
2: Your dad smokes tofu?
9: <laughs> the turkey. That's weird. I don't really eat that. Oh, does but, he? Does but he it? But I eat my gluten-free it? stuffing. Mm. Yeah, because we're from Texas. That's right. I smoke it.
2: So, uh Dad'll be making the turkey? Probably my brother. Brother? Yeah. Elizabeth, what will you be eating?
0: Um, my grandma has really incredible fudge and oh. my great aunt also makes a fruit salad that's just fantastic. So, <laughs> and family time. I I thing. don't
2: hear I didn't hear any protein.
0: Uh there will be turkey. Okay. I... I I'm just not the hugest fan of turkey, to Thank be you. Like, it's fine, and I love it on Thanksgiving, but other wow. days of the year, not my favorite meat. You
2: guys, that's kind you're of-
9: You're a monster! <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's kind
2: of, you're kind of downers. Like, turkey's- this is one of the greatest moments of all time.
9: Yeah, well, that'll be good. I don't
0: like it. I look forward <laughs> to the wishbone. That's oh, always fun. Oh, that's always
2: fun. Yeah. Yeah, that always starts a really big fight at our house. Yeah, yeah I, I never, never get it. it. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. We'll save you one. Thanks. Poor, 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 (laughs) Kelly. So um, anything else we need to talk about when it comes to the holidays?
0: Yeah. um, I guess we found a little thing on what each of the states is grateful for. Oh, great. Facebook um, kind of put out a little prompt to have people Mm -hmm. write down what they're grateful for for about three days. And then they took a look at the numbers. So we wanted to quiz you on what you thought the different states were grateful for. Well,
9: what are you grateful for? Let's see if you even.
0: I'm grateful
2: for you guys. (laughs) why are you laughing
9: because when I'm touched I laugh there's the tears
2: that was me being touched and I'm grateful for you guys Uh, I'm grateful we found out yesterday Ben's getting married he's engaged we're still going with that rumor he announced that at the the company party or the team meeting
0: it was good It's a good moment
2: he's acting like he didn't but on the way out he walked out and said he's He's engaged, so. Um, She's a beautiful, she is beautiful girl. beautiful. Seriously. Yeah. Beautiful. Seriously. I think he
0: like proposed yeah. with pop rocks or something. Oh, was that
2: really was touching. amazing.
9: Liz and I were actually in the bushes taking photos. We were, yeah. Oh. It was so we'll amazing. post those later. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah.
2: At the Dr. Matt show. Um, yeah. I'm grateful for family. I'm grateful for a grandbaby that is perfect and healthy and cute as can be. That's true. What? So, uh, what are the states grateful for?
9: Well, All right. Do you want to try and guess this? Yeah. Okay. Let's pick a state. Or I pick,
2: Let's pick Nebraska. Canada. Okay, Nebraska. Nebraska is grateful for corn.
9: No, they're not. They might be, but they're not.
2: What are they? They're not grateful for BYU's opening game. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? What are they grateful for?
9: Thunderstorms.
2: Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Why? Because they had a drought. Probably maybe. a lot of farmers yeah, they there. Need a lot of they water. like the
9: rain. That's yeah. great. Okay. Leads
0: to corn. Yeah. What, yeah. So leads you were to right.
2: Corn eventually. Yeah, I always have. <laughs> you always are. Yeah.
0: So, what was California grateful for? What
2: California was grateful for the Kardashians.
9: That's what No, know? that's my list.
2: Oh, that's your list. Yeah. Uh California would be grateful for rain. Too, also.
9: They would
0: be.
2: Water. But
9: But that's they're not.
0: What are, right. what are they grateful for? <laughs> they're grateful for YouTube. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah.
2: Weird. That seems a little. I don't know, like less.
0: Maybe they just like to watch videos of rain.
2: Probably that's probably, that's it. probably it. And it's what you do when you don't have water for your pools. Just watch YouTube. Watch two. other people swim. What's another state?
9: Um, let's go with the state of Texas.
2: Hello, Texas. They're big. They like everything's bigger in Texas. They're grateful for Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz. <laughs> no. No. Uh, Texas would be grateful for smokers for yes. listen, to smoke their meat. Football. Football?
9: Yeah. But not Not the
2: Cowboys, not the, but what? So what are they grateful for?
9: They're also grateful for rain.
2: Wow. See, the rain's a big it's thing. big one, yeah. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's another state? This is fine. Let's go to the
9: East Coast, list. <laughs> All right. East Coast. Let's go.
0: How about New
2: York or Connecticut?
9: Yeah. Yeah, those are hard to identify on a map. Yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. what's New York grateful for? Uh,
2: New York is probably grateful for peace and a safe, non-eventful tragic event in new york
0: <laughs> you know i'm sure they are but with the last avengers i guess that was taking place overseas
9: wasn't it and that long of a great gratitude won't fit on okay. yeah
0: so, so, what, so it's something else what
2: what what are they grateful for
9: they're
0: grateful for apartments wow I really mean, home it's one yeah. of those basic needs
2: okay yeah no that's true people need apartments that's interesting how about florida do you guys have florida
9: we do. Let's go there. They're grateful for living near the beach.
2: Oh, I agree.
9: So there's another really we, we found it really funny. Kind yeah. of um, part of their data, they said that um, like the majority of men mm-hmm. said that they were grateful for their wives, and that oh, that's yeah. what a lot of See, them said.
2: And, you, and I'm sure the women, <laughs> but reciprocated,
9: <laughs> they're grateful for, for
2: Pinterest. <laughs>
9: They are and grateful. There's for their a state husbands, grateful for Pinterest. They are grateful but... for the husbands, but it's
0: not the top of their list.
1: Oh,
2: rude!
0: It's, it's tied with children, boyfriend, babies, fur babies, which I think they mean pets, wine. Okay. Uh, wow, a comfy bed, the health of their children, their sister-in-law, wow. and boys. So, and those so are all we're, pretty we're, equal.
2: They're all equal with husband. Yeah. Yep. Where husbands
9: are just but for, wife. For
2: husband, it's just wife. We're just mm-hmm. grateful. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That it seems. Sad. That actually just seems pathetic. Huh? Possibly. I mean, maybe it just shows that men's, you know, our motives are pure. and
9: Or you couldn't come up with anything else.
2: Yeah. Maybe we're less creative. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That seems sad. Yeah. Well. Well, I'm grateful for you guys.
9: Grateful for you, man.
0: Yeah. I'm,
2: you know what I love about this segment is Ben doesn't have a microphone.
7: <laughs> are I'm you s- grateful for that?
2: I'm so grateful. Oh, he just turned off my mic. He didn't mean to do that. <laughs> <sighs> Ben's got an attitude. I am grateful for all of you. You make it you make my job so much fun and most of the time you make my job so much easier.
0: That's good. And Except, then when we don't, it's just a growing process. And when you don't, it's usually <grow>. Kaylee's fault. <laughs>
9: It's called Character.
2: <laughs> Thanks, kids. Good job. Liz Miller, Kaylee Danes. Are we going with Kaylee today?
9: Wow, that's a that's first. a lot of Kaylees. T- Kimley Day,
2: Kanye Danes.
9: I'll take whatever I Thanks, can.
2: Thanks, Con- Kanye. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll visit our good buddies down at uh, BYU Sports Nation, folks. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We thought we'd use a little music from The Godfather to throw it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen.
6: Watch out. There's going to be a horse head in your bed. I know.
2: Dude. You have no idea. I already woke up to one today. My I wife was freaking out. When
1: a horse head is in my
6: bed. Don't you
2: hate like, that? That
1: is the worst. Oh, nothing
2: ruins your day. Like, Who put the horse head in my bed? I! You put kids, put get up here. here.
6: <laughs> Who thought of that? I mean, I don't really. know. That like, is nasty. The, the producer that was like, "Yeah, that'd be cool."
2: A horse head. What what, <laughs> and what and kind of animal's up. head could we put in the bed? Get a
6: horse head. But there I mean, it has seat. that shock value. It, it, <laughs> it does have the shock value.
2: I, I couldn't ride a horse for weeks after that. <laughs> Ain't
1: nobody put a horse head in no one's bed no more.
2: <laughs> you guys, I love, I love the sound that you guys make. It's just beautiful. <laughs> It's like we could play just your verbal uh, take on any joke, and that itself would be a great show. The
6: band is back together, Matt.
2: Mm, I'm Spencer so glad. And I know. Where have you guys been? You your timing's been off.
6: Well, Jerem needed some time off to kind of keep himself from going crazy because of uh, all the craziness. Oh, I that was the yeah. parole. I got my lights up. Mm-hmm. That but, it didn't but, work. But you, your probation on, but officer
2: your probation officer actually said you had to take the time, right?
1: This ankle bracelet is chafing my (laughs) leg. If you notice,
2: like you've lost all your hair around your ankle bracelet, it's so embarrassing.
1: Ankle bracelet.
2: (laughs) I love the word bracelet. Hey, have you guys done your Christmas shopping? Because if not, I've got the perfect gift. Heck no. Heck no.
6: Well, my wife has done some of it, mostly for our four-year-old.
2: Do you know what your wife? Do you you know what you're going to get your wife?
6: Do I know what I'm going to get my wife? Um, I should say Whatever yes. Whatever a cartridge is. Okay. Like, yeah, well, if Brittany's listening, yes. Okay,
2: well, let me tell you. Hopefully she's not listening. If she's
6: not listening, no. No idea. <laughs> okay, if
2: she's not listening, you, you have no idea. So here's what she... I'm sure she loves a good jigsaw puzzle. So how about a 35 and a half pound, 33,600 piece jigsaw puzzle?
1: Excellent.
2: That measures 18...
1: We don't live in Portland.
2: <laughs> 18 by 7 feet by five and a half feet long it's huge
6: yeah if i give that to my wife this will be our last christmas
1: together
2: well she yeah she'll die putting a puzzle together (laughs) something like that it's after she divorces me it's 390 dollars but free shipping and it comes in a huge wooden box with wheels so you can move it around the house
1: is it a trojan horse
2: Mm -hmm. how'd you know wow it's a 36 pound puzzle
6: why in the world? Like why? Well, like Who's let's just say, buy that. That's well, a fail. Well,
2: well no. Let's say Let's say you're serving it's like, like five to life. A, if the, you're serving guys, <laughs> five yeah. to life, that this is, is a coughed. great gift.
6: The guys on Shark Tank think this is ridiculous. Who didn't use the cop button a moment ago?
2: <laughs> why does Shark Tank think it's a it's a joke?
6: They would never financially back this. Oh,
2: sure they would.
1: My bro in law was on Shark Tank.
2: He was. Yeah. What did he? How did he do?
1: Uh, he got to deal with the QVC lady.
2: Is he a billionaire? I wish. Someday.
1: No, but he's doing well.
2: That's yeah. great. He's
1: on Shark Tank.
6: When he becomes a billionaire, he and Jerem are going to tour the United States in a huge RV, lush, <laughs> and visit every college football stadium and oh, Major League Baseball stadium. That would
2: be cool.
1: That would be cool.
6: But it'd
2: even be cooler during season, right? Yeah. That'd be hard to do.
1: Currently, in the current state, yes.
6: Yeah,
2: but maybe you need a helicopter, state, no. not a. Can you imagine Winnebago. That
6: tour, like you pick out a Thursday night game, a Friday night I, game, oh, a listen, Saturday game.
1: I can't think of a more uh, a more fun activity than you telling me we're going to take a month or two and we're gonna just going to drive around the country. We're going to see college football games. We're going to see historical events. Yeah. We're going to that sounds like the funnest thing possible. You
2: mean more fun than me saying, "Hey, let's put together this thirty thousand or thirty thousand piece jigsaw puzzle"? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could do that for years.
1: <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Is it of a horse head in a bed? Is yeah, that it does.
2: A puzzle. Think of the picture? conversations we could have just sitting over the table in our break room here, just talking, just oh, the three we of would us.
1: Kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody got a horse head in that refrigerator <laughs> here at the broadcast
2: building.
6: I love me some Matt Townsend, but after five years doing a puzzle,
2: yeah. And you know what? After five years, we'd still only have the outline made on the the the, the, the <laughs> oh, frame course, yeah. done. <laughs> here, I'll
1: take the upper left corner. <laughs>
2: Plus, I have a feeling we'd end up coming up, like, one piece short. You know, how are you going to keep oh, 33,600 oh, yeah. pieces yeah. together?
1: A bunch of elves would have to help you.
2: Right. Yeah, some of the people in the studio, Sean here saying some of us are already one piece short. Which I thought was rude. Hey, uh, you guys, <laughs> you're still doing your show, right?
1: We are doing
6: the I, I don't know why today. I always
2: check, but I always wonder, maybe today's the day they're just not these? doing it.
1: One of these times we're going to come in and not do a show and just show up <laughs> for this hit, and we're going to be like, hey, we're not doing nope. no, a yeah, show, actually. We're really not doing
2: a show today. What's on the show today?
1: Let me, riddle me this, Matt.
2: Riddle me into. this. Yes.
1: Don't bury the lead. Bronco <laughs> Mendenhall's on the show today. Bronco what? Mendenhall's in studio today.
2: Awesome.
1: What
6: do you want to learn from Bronco Mendenhall, Matt?
2: Um, hmm. What well, would you
6: ask him? What would question number one be from you to Bronco Mendenhall today?
2: Uh, I'd ask him something about Holly, because if you start with Holly, you're going to make him incredibly happy. I promise you. Okay. Every time I talk to him, we start with Holly, and he's very happy. And then you can sneak in really tough questions after that.
6: (laughs) Okay, so what about Holly? What have you learned about Holly that we can use as ammo to
2: get the good stuff? I'd say, what are you getting Holly for Christmas? Have you bought the gift already? Are you taking her to France where she speaks? Oh,
1: yeah. Because
6: mm-hmm. and then and then and then, and then just face. drop
2: the puzzle idea on him <laughs> to see how he Liter- flushes. Literally drop the puzzle. Yeah, on don't him. do that. No. That'll kill him. That thing weighs fifty pounds. Wow.
6: That reminds me. I don't have a snack for Bronco. Oh boy.
2: Get get Bronco a snack.
1: The snack should be the question. Should be our personalities.
2: Ask ask Bronco <laughs> Who about. Who use the
1: cop button again?
2: <laughs> do you have
1: cop buttons in there?
2: No. We they don't have them ready. <laughs> <laughs> You're nuts, dude. Yes,
6: Jeremy's is nuts.
2: Uh, you know, you could ask him about the Fresno <laughs> State game, but that could be boring. I might ask him about does he enjoy the the constant videoing of his of his TV series.
1: Well, we. We uh, if he says no, that's going to be really awkward. That's so, true. Yeah, you might <laughs> want you might want to prep it. him with that question. Listen, listen. That show yeah. has taken off. People oh, I love it. Love it. it. It's I been do. fantastic. Yeah, I'm not really concerned about the means. Okay, is the end great? Yes. Then let's make the means good. You know, mm-hmm. and it's been it's been excellent. Fans have seen BYU football like they've never seen it before, and this has been a unique season. So yeah. I think it's been a smash hit when it comes to what the viewers think. Now, does that? Now, does that dominate, you know, the reason for being – hey, it's been really good. Bronco worries about stuff on the field. Let us worry about the television part. See? he needs to know it's been really good.
2: Yeah. People are liking it, and that was his goal is, you know, he wants to be able to tell his story. Yes. And that's and happening. Have. And that's and how, that's have, what I think so, – I agree. Definitively. I agree.
6: I can't tell you how many people I have heard from that have specifically said – I'm really enjoying getting to know a different side of Bronco Mendenhall specifically.
2: Mm. Yeah, I am too. And how much – I mean, he's – I love watching him coach because in there you get to hear him talking to guys and, and working with guys. I think that's cool.
1: He's less fired up than you'd think, right?
2: Totally. Ask him about he's, his he's hair.
1: even kill, which is part of his deal.
2: Have you hair. ever noticed the interviews? Every time they interview him, it looks like he just got out of the shower. Yes, ask him Ask him if he has just Post, got out of the shower or does he sweat product. a lot?
1: He sweats profusely.
2: He's such a good guy. That'll be a great. Okay, so is he on is he your whole show? Nope. Oh, wow. You got He's more. He's not
6: just
1: the whole show. We also have We're this tw- We also have
6: this Twitter question, okay? <laughs> Which BYU team should win by more points this weekend? Basketball against Division 2 Adams State tonight or BYU against an abysmal Fresno
1: State football team
6: on mm-hmm.
2: Saturday? By more points.
1: Yep. By more pointers. That's
2: good. That's good. Okay, that's a great question.
1: Have you seen the Key and Peele East-West All-Stars YouTube video?
2: Uh, not the East-West All-Stars. I like Key and Peele a lot. Yeah. Is it good? So, you know, yes. Lots so, you on.
1: know how at the start of national games, like at NBC's yeah. you know, Football Night in America or ESPN's Monday Night Football, they'll do, all right, let's get to know the starters for the Braves, yeah, yeah. and then they'll be like, <laughs> Dennis Pitta, BYU. Oh, right, you know, right. Oh, so yeah. They say, uh, they, so, they do all these ridiculous names from random schools. Okay. Yeah. And so Adam State, BYU's basketball opponent tonight, is one of those mentioned, and the name is Sequester Plith MD. <laughs> they do all these names, right? Key and Peel, yeah. both African American. They State. pay off the end of this by showing there's a white guy, and he says, Dan Smith, BYU.
2: I know, that is the best. <laughs> Okay, I have seen that.
1: Yeah, BYU is. Of course, you've seen it. I've seen that. I
2: didn't know that's what we're calling it. But
1: Adam, but Adam State is in there. Sequester (laughs) Grundleplith, MD, in the Marriott Center tonight.
2: Are you playing that? Come on. I wish. No, that'd be so fun to play. Okay,
1: I'll just say it. Just say it. Yeah, we don't. We don't have the rights to play it. I'll just play it. That's right. You just. That's that's like you're you're your
2: own jukebox. Oh, we got to let you go. We're we're getting carried away. You guys got to go wax and everything. we're, hey, we're
6: uh, getting carried away with you. Well, no, I just here? I don't want
2: to leave you. Your your team always gets so mad at my team because I we take so much time Stop with you. Stop
6: talking, Matt.
2: I know. Sorry. Go wax. <laughs> Use the go cup make up, dude. In the studio. Yeah, you still gotta have your rub downs. Okay, I get it. I understand. We'll let you go. Good job. Have a great show, gentlemen. Good luck with Bronco. Good luck Happy with Bronco. Weekend. Don't ruin that, guys. This might be your last shot. Don't make Don't make Bronco mad. It's,
1: you know don't get scared now.
2: Ask him about Holly. Ask okay. him about Holly. Okay, good luck, gentlemen. Have a great show. <laughs> yeah, he's got a cough, man. He's he's got to take he's, he's got to take care of that. Take care of that. Hey, top of the morning <laughs> to you. They make me laugh so much. By the way, today again National Absurdity Day, and I think we just experienced it with our good guys from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. It's also Peanut Butter Fudge Day. Mmm. Let's just take a second to think about that. Uh, As you know, um, you can go get our podcast anytime you want. You can go to iTunes. You can go to TuneIn. You can go to byuradio.org and download any of our shows. And today we had some awesome guests. We talked with Frank Furidi. Furidi about uh, um, literacy and is technology actually stealing the amount of reading people are doing? Are we no longer into books like we used to? Apparently the data is not showing that, folks. And also talk to Aaron Fisher about uh, having more of these uh, so kind of robots in schools. Really what they are are mobile iPads that psychologists can – used to get to rural uh, schools and and be able to evaluate what's going on with certain kids in classrooms and to be able to coach teachers and parents so p- pretty powerful stuff I must say and as we wrap up too you, you know we always like to leave you with a hero story and uh, this is such a great one based on the headlines with everything that's going on with terrorism and kind of the knee jerk reactions people are having to the Muslim world. Listen to this story about a seven-year-old boy. A seven-year-old boy, this is, by the way, out of abcnews.go.com, a seven-year-old boy recently donated all of the money in his piggy bank to a Texas mosque that was vandalized in what police are saying a hate is a hate crime. It was their house of worship. It was the Islamic center of uh, Pflugerville, which was hit by a vandal who left torn pages of the Koran smeared with feces outside the entrance, police said. The vandalism was found early Monday morning by a congregant. The young donor, Jack Swanson, went to the mosque that afternoon and handed over his money, $20 that had originally been collected in forms of pennies over time, according to Faisal Naeem, one of the mosque's board members. Jack's $20 are worth $20 million to us because it's the thought that counts, Naeem told ABC News today. Jack is just a little older than my son, Ibrahim. If we have more kind-hearted kids like them in the world, I have hope for our future. Although no physical damage was made to the facility, cleanup costs were estimated about $150, a mosque member told the police. Jack's mother, Lara Swanson, told the ABC affiliate, K-View, that she wanted to support the mosque and show what happened in Paris is not, about, is not what's happening in Flugerville. Naeem added that he didn't want to assume the vandalism was motivated by the news of the Paris terror attacks until police conclude their investigation. However, he was frustrated that such generalizations are often applied to the Muslim community after extremist attacks. It's become so commonplace where something goes wrong somewhere and people want to blame all the Muslims. He said, if anything, it's a pointing indictment of the logical fallacy in our society's way of thinking. So, there you go, boy. One seven-year-old boy changes the lives and the views of a lot of us. Folks, he's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And appreciate Jack Swanson. That's the show, my friends. Until tomorrow, we will be back more tool. Or actually, not tomorrow. This weekend. till Monday, we'll be back uh, giving you the tools you need. Take care. Watch after each other. And we'll talk again Monday.